powered from the Phenomenal Scar Studios on uh, Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Drew State Studios in California. It's episode 244 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome back Jonathan Carney of La Florida Minicana as our special guest. And as always, the Primetime Show is sponsored by Saga Cigars. Dagos Reyes introduced another chapter of the saga, the Saga Celez. Celez is a Spanish word that means leisure after work in the spirit of the standing idea of owning your own journey and making your own saga. Saga Celez is a perfect companion to enrich those moments of choice, making them truly yours. The Saga Celez carries a blend of Criollo lore and Piloto Cubano wrapped in a selected Ecuador shade Claro wrapper that generously delivers with elegance and surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. It's available in three sizes at an affordable price. Ask your retail for Saga Celez. In by Perdomo Cigars, awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal. The Perdomo 20th anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th anniversary blend requires tobaccos that have been carefully hand-selected and are well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combine these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos with each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigar is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed consumer brands include the Perdomo State Selection Vintage, the Perdomo Double-Aged 12-Year Vintage, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary, the Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary Line, Perdomo Abano Bourbon Barrel Age, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Amenso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And I want to mention Aganorsa Leaf this month on Cigar Coop on the Aganorsa Experience. You can click on the sidebar and uh, click on that. And you, Terrence Riley, Vice President of Aganorsa Leaf, will give you an overview of what validation really is. You've heard him talk a lot about it. He's actually going to talk about um, in a video on the uh, YouTube channel what uh, goes on with validation actually inside Aganor Salif. So you'll want to check that out. And again, go to the sidebar in Cigar Coop and click on the Aganor experience, and that will take you right to the video. And finally, by Drew Estate. Check out and download the Drew Diplomat app for your mobile device. Keep up with everything going on Drew Estate. Experience the subculture that is the rebirth of cigars. It's available on iTunes or Google Play. For more information, check out www.drewdiplomat.com. And as always, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network. The show is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate, as well as the California Studios for the Primetime Show. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Episode 244. Uh, today is Thursday, October 6th. 2022. Will Cooper here. I'm in the Black uh, Stage on in the Perdomo Scott Studios. Joined cross country by my good friend and colleague, Mr. Aaron Loomis. Hey, doing tonight, Will? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm 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 fired up for tomorrow. I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, uh, I've waited a long time. I just hope it. I just want to get three games at least out of this. So, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, so we'll see what happens. But I'm 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 fired up for the Phillies. I mean, I I, I can't not be. Tough series to start out with, but it's we've all right. Pl- we've played well with them this year. Yeah. Um. You know, the year we played St. Louis, the last time we were in the playoffs, actually, it's ironic. We played St. Louis, mm-hmm. and I was – I knew we were going to lose that series because we played well. We matched up badly with them. So I, I, I was not surprised we got knocked out that year. What, what surprised me is 
we would have a drought after that of 11 years. That's the part that surprised me more. But I, I was like the one team I didn't want to play in 2011. And that was kind of the dream team year, like where we had the four aces and everything. Yeah. But I, I did not want to play St. Louis. So and it was the one team that, uh, you know, and that was back before there were two wild cards. You know, you were playing those teams. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm excited. And yeah, uh, short series, anything can happen. So anything can happen. I mean, look, if, like I said, I think if they get dusted in this series, it's, it's going to be ugly. <laughs> that's that's yeah. how Philadelphia is. Uh, if they play hard, I mean, cause they, they honestly, they mailed it in the last two games against the Astros. I think they were just like, you know, they were, yeah, they, was, they, yeah. they, were they were done. Right. I think yeah. so. Um, but I wanted to, I, I really did want them to get, um, to 89 wins. But here's the thing. If you took the over with the Phillies this year, 86 and a half, you won. Yep. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, yep. Uh, well, we're going to talk a little baseball a little later, too, because uh, we yep. have a, one, our, our guy here. We're going to bring in uh, great sports uh, um, knowledge, but um, great cigar guy, great guy in general. Uh, let's welcome back um, the vice president of sales for the Florida Minicana, Mr. Jonathan Carney. Jonathan, welcome back to primetime. Good evening, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be back. It's been, I think it's been longer than I thought it had been uh, since I've been on. It's been a very long time. We bring you yeah. on for the football show, right? Yeah. yeah. But we, we actually, you know, we do talk some LFD, but, you know. Yeah. Um, like the actual on- primetime show, because you had mentioned it to me. We were talking and you'd said, you know, they do, can you do the primetime show? It's been a while. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, and you know, obviously we, we see each other, you know, as a group, I yeah. see you all at the trade show and we talk indirectly. I see you on other shows. So the passage of time for me is, I, yeah. like it, it doesn't make any sense. So when you mentioned when, I don't remember when it was the last time I was on, but I was like, there's no way that was the last time that I was on 115, the show. And, episode 115. Yeah. Three years ago. It was three years, about yeah. three years ago this wow. month. So I'm like, that was a mm-hmm. long time. So, uh, yeah, crazy. So, Hey, it's, it's, Great to be Gak. It feels like I have. Ne- I was never gone. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and, like uh, I said, <laughs> in baseball talk later. I, I'll talk some. We can talk a little baseball. Um, I know you said something about being knowledgeable. The last time you and I were together on a show, Coop, obviously it wasn't your show. Um, our friend Eric at Cigar Dojo's continuously busting my balls about uh, picking the Broncos versus the Bills in the Super Bowl. I'm still standing behind that pick. Okay. I'm still standing behind that pick. I know they're in the same. I know they're in the same divisions. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, same uh, conference. Yeah. But I, I'm sticking with a pick. He said something to me today, and I wanted to make it known that I'm still sp- uh, sticking with Bills versus Broncos as the likely Super Bowl contenders. I'm going to say Denver might be. And we, we, I know we're going to talk some football, but Denver might be the biggest train wreck in the NFL this year. If, if this, if this could get. Uh, I don't know what the score is right now. They were up, but. They brought in, I mean, they brought in a high-profile quarterback and a guy who's supposed to be an offensive genius, right? And it has not gone well for them. And the defense, which was good last year, is playing terrible. It's, I'm going to tell you, the, the NFL games on primetime so far have been off, awful games. I, I oh, think they're, it was they're like atro- last, atrocious. Yeah. Like the week before last, it was, the game ended, ended like eleven to ten, yeah. and it was there's one point of the game it was seven to five. Um, it was just it was just awful, and and it shouldn't have been that way. I don't know why it is, and we'll get into that on, yeah. the, on the football episode as we watch 
the rest of the season next year. But yeah, uh, but no, the game right now is terrible. I watched it. My wife walked. It's six to six. Okay, yeah, it's-, <laughs> it's six to six, and there's and there's seven minutes. They're halfway through the third quarter, and it's just awful. And I'm watching it so bad. I was watching. I was watching. My wife walks in. And she's like, this game looks boring. And I'm like, I go, it's, well, it's just getting started. And I realized it was like halfway through the game already and nothing had gone on. It was so bad that the, the Amazon analytics channel, you can watch it with the stats and stuff. Yeah. I don't know if this is intentional. They just dropped the stats. They were like, <laughs> it was just gone. It was just all of a sudden it was gone. And I'm like, think, I'm like oh, God, there's nothing good to say. So, it, anyway. it, it's funny. My wife who uh like i watch football in this area here because i could smoke and stuff and my wife has commented to me she's like you come into the house like after the games and you've been a lot happier she's like <laughs> and she has no idea how the giants would do i'm like yeah it's it's been better to watch these games this year so i'll just say mm. i mean it's just you don't have that creative sigh like you're done in after the first quarter you know so uh it's been it's definitely been better with that. Um and and I have to get up early on Sunday uh to watch the, the London they're play, the Giants are playing the London yeah. game on Sunday. So so Aaron, you're not getting up at six thirty, I assume, to watch this game, right? I wouldn't like, get up at six thirty to watch anybody play football in any <laughs> Yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> I, I did it on the West Coast one time. I did get up and watch the early yeah. game. Yeah. Um I used to joke around and say it was because I was going to bed. It wasn't. I just happened to wake up because I was uh I wasn't adapted to the change time yet. So I woke yeah. up at like six thirty, seven o'clock and I was watching a football game in London. So I watched football from 7 a.m. to like 9, 8, 9 p.m. It was the craziest thing. Yeah. But, West, you know, Coast football, thing I... West Coast football is good because the first game starts at 10. Mm-hmm. You know, awesome. second game starts at 1. And you got the 4 o'clock mm-hmm. uh, game in the, for the, you know. So you can, yeah, you get a yeah. full day of full day of it. Yeah. 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 Well, I... one, one more comment on the football thing, though, that I heard tonight. So. By the way, I think Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet are fantastic. They, they are. They are. Together. I, I think I yeah. agree. Better than Collinsworth. And, and I'm not oh. a Collinsworth hater. I'm not a Collinsworth hater. Me either. Me either. Yeah. But yeah. Herbstreet's awesome. Yeah. Um, and it's going to give him a good game so he can be dynamic with it. But uh, he, he said something really interesting uh, that I thought was funny. So they shortened the preseason, right? And they've added an extra game. It's week five, right? This is week five. So it's week five, and he makes a comment, and it was about, well, you got to be patient. It's going to take some time for this offense to get together. Week five, we're like a third of the way through the friggin' season, and I, I got to wait and to watch good football from the Colts and the Broncos. Like, no, at, at week five, you ought to have this thing somewhat figured out of what's going on. You know, I was having a conversation, John, with uh, Aaron, with Seth on this, right? And we we were talking, we were messaging basically how. We thought the quarterback play has been inferior the last couple of years. Um, and I made the comment. I said, you know, I'm wondering if that short preseason, it's not giving these quarterbacks a lot of time to kind of, they lost a week now. And they normally, you know, would only play like a game and a half. And now they're pretty much relegated to that second game and that's it. So I think it is affecting some of it. I just, I see bad quarterback play this year. It's just been, it's just not been like, we, we got spoiled like for the last 10 years with some of the quarterback play, but the last couple of years, it's been awful. Man, it's a little tough. The, the blocking's really rough. The, the blocking's not great. The schemes that the, the defensive players are better than the offensive players at the front of, at the line of scrimmage, yeah. in my opinion, right now, uh, which creates a lot of different stuff. And then you, then you have players that are just, sorry, there's a 
police car going by or something. <laughs> I'm fine. I don't live in Baltimore or anything like that. No, it's good. Speaking, yeah. So, but um, the reason I bring up Baltimore is it's one of the weirdest places to stay. Uh, downtown, it's like a weird, like it's the only place that I've ever been that's kind of like a war zone at night. Uh, that you would imagine like a war zone's like if you've never been in one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's helicopters flying over. There's lights <laughs> everywhere. I mean, and it's every single night of the week. I mean, it's not just like there's something going on. I mean, there's they are the eyes in the sky. It's the craziest thing. But yeah, anyway, offense. I think that the defensive lines are more athletic and better than the offensive, and I think that's progressing faster and it's creating a lot of challenges. Then you shorten the games, and these are shorten shorten the uh, amount of time they have together. It's definitely showing, but. Eh, there's great football. It's just not been in prime time. But yeah. Tonight, tonight, prime time is here. That's right. So. Yep. Yep. There, there you go. Yep. Um, you know where I stay in Baltimore? I'll just tell you. Um, when, I haven't gone in a long, like 10 years, but I used to stay at the Wyndham right across from the arena, the which I think mm-hmm. was the first Mariner arena. But you go a block away from there, you're in a war zone. It's what I'll just tell <laughs> you. Just, you basically want to park your car and, and, just not go out a block away from there. Is what I tell people. It, it's awful. It, there is nothing else like it. Yeah. Uh, I I usually stay downtown in like the the marina area there. Yep. I know it has another name, but uh, I usually uh, stay there. Well, yeah, can, it's walk, Cannon Yards. Yeah, it's Cannon Yards. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that whole area. But the walk yeah. back to the hotel, like if you go to dinner at like Texas State Brazil or something down there, the walk back is just sketchy and it's not because there's anything inherently going on around you that you see it's just there's things going on around you that you hear that make you know that there's things going on around you that you yeah. can't see yeah um, it's just the wildest thing yeah not true that's true um but yeah definitely um like i took my i remember i used to take my kids there when i lived up in new jersey we'd go down to a game but i would never take them to a night game down there it's just uh yeah. So I don't. I, we'd only go to a day game. So guys, I'm going to do something here a little crazy. We've got um, some people. You know, anyone's watching the show, we've got this Discord group that came with the uh, yeah, kind of came with the NFT concept, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yep. And so I stop hijacking your show, but um, I'm going to smoke a digger right now. There you go. Wow. There you go. Big boy hog log. They call it. I was going to do. I got that. And if, if I smoke through this, my nightcap will be my daughter's first birthday is coming up. And oh, this is a cigar nice. that I had made for her called the Autumn Carney. Nice. And awesome. uh, so I'm going to probably light that up after. So because um, I got some more coming for her first birthday. But, yeah, I'm going to light up this digger for our friends in Discord. Nice. I'm smoking the uh, number two cigar of the year in 2020. This is the small batch. Uh, it gets AKA. It's the seven. Um so these, uh, I, I still have about eight of these left in my humidor right now. Um, and you, you said 80 or eight, eight. Oh, I said 80. I was no, like, but I, I made a send some of those up. Let's I made a major purchase. So, uh, there was a retailer that had like the crate and he had about like 19 of them left. That was still a hefty purchase. And I said, you know what? Just give them to me because I, I knew I was, that was like a cigar. I was like really enjoying. So, um, and it's a cigar. I know I probably wasn't going to find again. I mean, so, so I just went and grabbed them and, uh, yep, they, they became mine. So these have been resting. These have like almost probably about three years of age on them. So the small batch seven, 
was definitely 2019. It's so weird. Even, even with like cigar releases, how the last two and a half, three years now have gone. Uh, it, it's, it's like there's a three year period of time where you, you're not required to know all the things that happened in that period of time. There's no <laughs> expectation because people ask me like, when did that cigar get released? If you would have asked me three years ago when something got released with the size, the shape, the price or whatever it was, I would have given you every answer just like that. Um, and now it's like, if it fell in that three year period of time, I mean, all bets are off of, yep. of what happened with it, but that, that came out that came out right at the end of 2018, early 2019, and we shipped it throughout 2019. Right. And um, for me, that was one of my, as a personally, as a cigar smoker, um, the seven for me was one of the most enjoyable for, uh, for me since uh, number three. I really enjoyed three, five, and seven. Uh, so it's funny how the odd numbers for me were the ones that I, well, that I enjoyed the most. Well, you know, I really like six. And for mm-hmm. seven, the top six, that was unbelievable. I mean, th- this one topped it. I mean, so, I mean, is there an, are we going to see an eight, eight? I guess it's almost time for an eight, right? So any shot we'll see one soon. So the, so it's been, it's been seven years since the, the full LG line has been released. Was I was going to ask you about this too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for a number of reasons, you know, the, the, the intention was to, the the intention was to have it back out in 2016. It was it was a yearly release. We started putting the dates on it. Yep. Now a couple things happened. There was uncertainty with what the FDA was doing with our products. If we could have dates on it, if we couldn't, so we dropped that. Right. Also, in 2016, uh, towards the end of the year is when the Andalusian Bowl had Cigar of the Year, and right. we were starting a massive expansion prior to that um, of the factory. So this expansion went on for about two and a half to three years from 16 to 19 demand for Andalusia bold and everything on an international stage and here domestically in the U S went through the roof. Um, so that was going on while supply, uh, well, supply was trying to grow with the expansion. Then 2019 hit, which is right about the time we were going to finish our expansion of the factory. Uh, Cause it does take time to do that. It's not just, Hey, you double the size of your factory and all of a sudden you make an additional, uh, you know, hundred percent more cigars than you made. And then COVID hit. <laughs> so we really didn't get to see any expansion from the factory expansion or any real uh, realization of product until really about six months ago, which is crazy. And that all started in 2016 and the LG line is the perfect example of how that went on because that's when all of it started. Right. Uh, was in the end of 2015 when that was released. So you, you, you look seven years down the road, really six and a half, seven years, you know, like how did we get to this point where there was no LG where it's a product that's supposed to be uh, released every year. And you just look at those pieces and it sounds crazy, but it shows you what goes into making products and making cigars and then where you prioritize your time. Um, and whatnot, and said all those things happened. So LG was supposed to arrive back this year. We have some other projects that have been going on that we announced during the summer. Soli, uh, Junior Cigar with his dad and Tony. Um, just getting caught back up on other products. Obviously, the, the Golden NFT project uh, took a lot of man hours on our side, not, not production-wise, uh, but man hours in terms of uh, focus on it, developing the program. Um, and then just mainly just getting caught back up on different SKUs and, and uh, maintaining what we were already doing and 
you know, this year we're going to add, we're adding additional million cigars. So at the end of the year, we will have shipped an additional yeah. million than what we had the year before. So there's just a lot going on. So uh, LG's got pushed back into uh, 2023. Uh, but the unique thing that we will be doing with it this time around is the LG line and the small batch will be releasing close to each other. Mm-hmm. And then we'll also be retracting the number of sizes. So it'll be a little more, um, a little more streamlined in terms of facings, right. um, a little bit more streamlined in terms of release schedules uh, with regular and standard LG and then the small batch. Uh, so it should be a really good chance for us to kind of relaunch it, um, you know, and, and, and get it in the right retail shops that don't just want something exclusive, but want something exclusive that understand what the product is and why it's unique, why it's special. Um, and then it'd be something that's successful for them on a, uh, you know, on a short-term basis that we can do annually uh, again. Yeah. So John, I was just going to ask you that because um, we have a lot of newer smokers probably maybe who've started smoking in the last five years may not be familiar with the LG project. So maybe give them a little overview. What makes that line unique? Yeah. Which is funny, right? There's um it's I, I was at a I was at a Davidoff event last night. It was the the cigars and hats uh, here in Winter Park. It was in Charlotte tonight. Actually, it was in Charlotte tonight. Yeah, yeah. It was it was awesome. It was really cool. Um, and it was funny because the guy that does the hats says he goes, "There's no pairing." He's like, "That's better in this world." He goes, "Than a cigar and a hat." <laughs> and I'm sitting there. We're looking in front of us, and there's liquor being poured. It was Dalmore, and I had a glass of wine. I look at my buddy Chris, and I was like. I can think of one pairing. I go, and it's sitting right in front of me right here. <laughs> I was like, so uh, I go, and the hat's the only thing stopping me from tasting it at this point. But it was a really fascinating event, and I recommend if anybody has an opportunity to be around it, check it out. But it was funny because the the Davidoff brand ambassador I'd never met. He was newer. He'd been around for like six months. Uh, so he was a new smoker. And he really had only been in the business for about five or six years. And he had a great knowledge base. He was excellent. Uh, right. Really enjoyed it. But I was talking with him, and then I was talking with another smoker who'd been just started recently smoking in the last two or three years, too. And um, this is something that's a side effect of the last three years is you're running into this huge crowd of of new smokers and new people that are in the industry. And I'm certainly not old in this business by any means, but it's funny to run into that. And then you you have to kind of retrain yourself. As you said, like I talk about LG, it's a normal part of my daily conversation. Yeah. Um, And for, for a period of time, it was really part of my daily conversation. It was just part of what was part of an LFT discussion. And this has been seven years. So you figure the majority of the time that I've now been with LFD. So seven out of the 12 years, we haven't had the Lito Gomez line. Right. Uh, which is the, you know, the, by name, the marquee product, uh, which is named after our owner, Lito Gomez. Um, and it's the nature of what makes it unique is that it's a hundred percent Dominican tobacco, hundred percent grown on our farm. Yep. So it's wrapper binder and filler all 100% Dominican tobacco and it's a vintage crop so from year to year there may be subtle changes we were talking about which ones we liked earlier on the small batch um, you know or preferred more it's vintage so year to year changes so it's a it's a description and a kind of snapshot of what was going on at the farm at that time 
And it doesn't mean that if you don't like the number six or the number five, that those are bad years, those tobaccos get blended into other, other blends. Sure. Um, but those LGs are really great example of what was going on in the farm. So if it's, if it was a very hot year, you're going to tend to have a spicier, you know, a real spicy cigar. It's real thick. Um, so that the vintage crop, it's always four years prior. So if it's the 20, say it's the 2023 LG, that'll be from our 2019 crop. Right. In 2015, the last iteration of it was our 2011 crop. Um, so it's a really unique concept. They call it a Puro, which is uh, pure 100% of Dominican yep. tobacco. And it's 100% ours. So yep. it's a state grown, which means it's grown on our farm. It's vintage, which means it's from just one year. So the blend stays very similar, um, but the tobaccos just change. Um, and it releases every year. And then, you know, seven years it hasn't because of changes in growth. And, you know, it's going to be exciting to have it back. And I, I love it personally. I, yeah, I, I do really too. personally enjoy the whole thing. Even when I said I preferred the, you know, the seven, the five, and the three. I mean, the other ones are really good. I like smoking them. I enjoy seeing what's going on with them. And then the standard LG line for me is just a home run, personally. Yeah. I, it's, it's an everyday go-to cigar um, when they're available for me. But, um, which is fun. Like, it's fun to have something like that being, every, it's like Carlito Fuente gets to smoke Opus all day, right? So when right. LG's out, I get to smoke LG all day. Right. Right. And you talk about like, like the LG project, you know, again, you know, Carlito do it Opus X. Everyone knows about with the Dominican rapper, but you know, it, it, there's not a lot of companies that have still mastered the Dominican rapper yet. I, mean, I think Lito has. And, um, you know, just from a testament of that, I mean, that series is one of my all time favorite. I mean, I, when you said seven, I couldn't believe it was that long. Like when you said, I knew it was a while, but seven years, that's before Andalusian Bull got number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's and, a long and time. it's really yeah. going to be, I'll be honest, Coop. I, when LG originally came out, which is like 2005 yeah. or six, I obviously wasn't with the company. And when I started with the company, it was a product that was allocated in a way that it was kind of like you had to earn it type of a thing. And yeah. It was allocated based off of earning on just raw financial numbers. Right. Um, which I wouldn't have now seeing it over the years, I wouldn't have done that. So there's places that were like, Hey, I want the LG because I hear this excitement from it. It's a new brand. It's, it's, you know, one of the other comments, right. Oh, it's like Opus. It's, it's not like Opus. It's the same type of concept as the cigar. It's a completely different concept than Opus. Right. Um, but there's similarities because it's Puro. But yeah. I, I would walk into some spots that had it, and I'm like, why does this person have it? And they, they had it because they, they wanted to spend X number of thousands of dollars to get it on the shelf, but then they just sat there. Or, or then I'd walk in a shop that was like, you know, if we do we support you real well, if we had LG, man, this would be great. And, you know, and the conversation was, well, you you got to buy this, or you got to do that. You know, it's going to be done differently this time around. Uh, which is going to be nice where it's going to be put in retailers that one support the brand and two understand the nature of what it is and that it's limited. Um, and there's going to be support behind it uh, yeah. where it's not just, Hey, it's going to sit there and be on the shelf. No, this is going to get into people's hands. They got to smoke it. And we want to make sure that you understand the concept behind it. So it's going to be really distributed in a different manner. And I don't want to limit anyone from having it. And I also don't want to take away, uh, the opportunity for someone that may have be a smaller retailer that, that could really be behind it and do a great job with that product. Um, because so just looking at it raw numbers, isn't necessarily always the right thing, especially not for us. We're just not big enough uh, yeah. to make all of our decisions based off of how much money is being spent. 
That's a good point. No, I mean, I think, like I said, I think there's definitely this is a series. Like I've been kind of getting this reputation of like Aaron hates everything, but I've been now called the Ali <laughs> hater. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, but this is a limited guy. Like I just say, this yeah. is one you have to seek out is what I tell people. It did just, they're really good. So, uh, yeah, you know, and I, I, I agree with Aaron to an extent and, you know, and, you know, limited editions, there's limited editions that, that come out and it's the first time they're ever out. And so people use the term, in my opinion, in this industry, I got a new product coming out. So it's limited edition. I got a new product. Everything's limited edition, right? You know, you know, what's limited edition is a series of products like factory press. There's been five. Yep. There's going to be a sixth, and it's limited edition. LG small batch is limited edition. LG regular is a seasonal release. But the, the name limited edition gets thrown on everything new. And it's like every year there's the newest limited edition, this limited edition, that. I, and, and that's, in my opinion, you're just putting out new products and putting limited edition on it uh, right. to create some some draw and excitement. Now, there are true limited edition products. Uh, but the way I look at more limited edition stuff is, uh, especially in the cigar industry, which gives it more credibility, is has this limited edition existed before? And if it has, has it had some consistency, um, you know, which maybe isn't the true definition of limited edition, but also at the same time, so it wasn't throwing uh, a band on something that says limited edition and releasing 10 of them every year. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the small batch, um, you know, is, is, is a great, you know, it's a great example. It's like, that's been a one and done. Um, you know, and then I'm thinking the, the LFD 25th was a one and done. You, you haven't had a lot of those one and done, but you've had a lot of things that are much more limited to get. The Limitados were the other ones I could think of that are one and done. Yeah, and then you then you got but you got followings with those lines. So those those themselves, like I was just doing, I've been doing a lot of skew, skew reports recently and uh, looking at a lot of charts, graphs, numbers, and different things as as we go forward next year. Um, you know, with the changes with the with the FDA kind of getting out of our situation. Um, there's, there's ways you see, you're already seeing companies streamline products right now. I mean, oh, yeah. general, a general's come out and announced they're getting rid of a bunch of stuff. Which your estates announced it. Davidoff just announced a substantial price increase, but also a substantial, uh, scale back of lines. So everybody's doing that internally. Um, so I spent a lot of time and I was looking at our limited, I have a thing on my price list. It's called limited production, limited edition. Right. So I'm looking at it and I was like, wow, I'm like, there's a lot of products that are on here that are limited production because we make as much as we can, but we don't refer to them as limited edition. But then I looked at the limited edition things. I was like, these are really series of cigars. Yeah. You know, the limitado is really a series right. of cigars that has a, you know, as a random release schedule. Um, so I, I think that's really what's the difference in more established cigar companies. Yeah, you know, Davidoff does it with Winston Churchill now. Uh, they do it with the Royal. You know, it looks like the Royal release. That's a standard, almost yeah. standard production stuff. But they have series of cigars, and then you have you you have these new companies come out, and I won't say any names really because I just don't have any come to my head, uh, come to my mind. But you know, John Carney's brands out, and you know I've been out for two years, and then all of a sudden there's the John Carney limited edition. Well, you know, <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Yeah. It means you're gonna be out of business quick and you can't get them anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, um the um one thing you, you mentioned with the SKUs, right? You you have an ex I heard you say this on another show once, and 
now I kind of use this all the time. The, the, like people, I think, kind of get a little wound up about when these things are discontinued. But I heard you say, I heard you use this expression that maybe not in this case is that's the way that's a part of doing business. And, you know, I look at these moves like Drew Estate, Davidoff and, and general making with skew reductions. And this is part of the business here. And they can't mass produce all these lines all the time. It, there's a limit. You know, you just can't do that. Your factory can't have that type of capacity. Well, and the, the other issue you see going on is, which it's it's not shocking to see the largest companies making this. I would anticipate Altavis doing some sort of a scale back here soon, too, and some sort of a price increase. Um, but you, you just can't, in a time of ex- big expansion, so there was, there was over 100 million additional cigars added in premium cigar imports in the United States in the last two years, to think that that's going to maintain at that level so let's just say around numbers, 450 million. I think it might've been 428, but that's going to retract. It's not going to go back to what it was. This industry definitely had another boom, but we're at the end of that boom. And we're also in, in a, in a recession that's going to get a lot deeper. And this is not political. It's just, again, how the business works of, of the country. It's going to get a lot deeper after this election's over when this, this next midterm election, when they stop both sides trying to impress everybody yeah. um so it's not going to get any better next year so you're going to have a slight retract you're going to have retraction in the amount of cigars that are imported it's still going to be a big gain if you look at it over time and looked at it on a chart it's still up it's going to stay up top but if you have 30 additional SKUs and you're making it based off of like 60 percent growth over the last two years as an industry practically you're going to be over making something and you've got to get it dialed in at some yeah. point in time or a company like Davidoff is going to have like 30 SKUs that are priced at like 25 bucks that they're going to have to email their retailers about and say, Hey, uh, these are all 30 points off because we can't get rid of them. And we have too much. So doing that now is getting them ahead of the game when it retracts and they're going to see growth because of that. And then they're also a little more streamlined. Same thing with Drew Estate. Drew Estate got rid of like a hundred SKUs, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to, they, they just have to do it. They, they 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 added skew after skew after skew that had no problem selling it. Yep. Uh, because there was just shortage of people trying to get the demand was so much higher. Uh, now's the time to get ahead of it. So if anybody's watching this and they they run a large company or a company that's they feel like they've hit kind of a ceiling, get ready to retract a little bit, and make some of those decisions uh, because it's definitely coming. And there's still going to be room to great room to grow yep. because you know, companies, medium sized companies like us. You know, we'll just take a bigger piece of the pie and nobody will really notice it. And you slowly yeah. grow five, 10 percent a year. Uh, but but yeah, skew reduction is normal. Pr- price increases are another one that, you know, that's it's a hot topic for people. But um, in reality, the the prices that we're looking at now and scars are going to skyrocket in the next two years. I mean, just look out um, if you're a consumer, look out the prices are going to be going up. It's going to get crazy and, um, and just sit tight because there'll be some deals after because yeah. <laughs> some people aren't going to make the right decisions. So if you're not making the right decision, you overproduce and then you can't get rid of them and you have too much of different sizes that don't make sense or don't sell, um, or limited editions that don't sell, you know, those, there'll be deals to be had on that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I said, I, uh, I got a chance to see the factory with you down, uh, in February and, I don't mean this in a negative way, but 
I was surprised how, I mean, I know you expanded. It's still a very small factory that you guys have. I mean, and look, I've said this on many shows. That factory was at 100% capacity today where everyone was was working that day. I mean, um, but yeah, I was just like, I came at it. It's like, this is the little engine that could here because what you guys, the fact that this was smaller at one time and you guys have, have done what you've done, I, you know, and I know, John, a lot's been said about the back order stuff, right? But I'm just saying it's it's um, it's a true boutique factory when I went in there. I'm like, this is boutique. I mean, when I went in there for sure. Well, you know, and I've always said I have no issue having discussions about back orders. You don't get back orders unless you're selling product. Right. Um, you know, and my first example, I tell people like, oh, LFD has got a back order problem. No, no, we have a supply and demand uh, success where the demand is exponentially higher yeah. than the supply. Now, there's certain ways to fix that. But one of them isn't taking 28 years of accounts you've done business with and then cutting like 35% of them off from your product and closing them. Right. You know, there's a process that you got to go through to, to move through smaller retail levels and people that have supported you over the years. Um, so, you know, that's one solution, but product doesn't get back ordered unless it's sold. Or you can tell if product's back ordered and it can't be sold and it's not sold. If the people that work for those companies constantly are getting jobs other places, um, I mean, I've been here for 12 years. I promise you, the, the food I cook, <laughs> the wine I drink doesn't pay for itself. I, I get a paycheck <laughs> and it's never been late for 12 years. Right. Um, so I wouldn't work somewhere that, that couldn't pay me. Um, right. And they, we couldn't pay if we weren't yeah. shipping things. Yeah. Um, you know, so that you know you may agree or disagree with business decisions externally that we've made but internally there's always a reason but in regards to back orders i don't lose too much sleep over it when there's negative discussions you know where right. people are trying to troll on it right uh, because i mean i i know it's because we've been successful i mean we've grown every year for 28 right. years and and I, I get it but i but i understand the other side of it too you know i understand sure. where people have a view and opinion uh they don't watch every show they don't meet me everywhere i go um, if I have a chance to explain it to them, it's fine. Most of the people that are trolling about it, I've never met. Um, and if it's a retailer that's trolling about it, I usually give them a call and say, hey, this is what's up. If it doesn't work for you, I totally understand it and respect it. Um, but, you know, the product sells well in your store. So when you're able to get it and then bring it in, put it on the shelf, it's going to sell. You're never going to have any issues with it selling. The issue you have me is that we just can't get you enough of it at any given period of time, but we are slowly grow every year and we do our best with it, but it's a blessing and a curse, but it's a really an honor to have it. You know, I've, I've said this on shows the last couple of years, congratulations to the people that smoke our cigars and new smokers. So you guys smoke us into a situation where we're backed up. Yeah, that's true. Do you think, you know, you guys have had, I guess a little bit of this double-edged sword in that like two of your really cigars that, you know, are sought after are, you know, they're just not easy to make them. It's I'm thinking the Andalusian bull and the digger. I mean, so that kind of because they're they have such a demand, those cigars, you know. Um, but I, I imagine you just can't crank those out either. I mean, that's the, the thing. The, so the goal with some of the some of the deep diving that I'm doing and some of the data that we have um, is to find a way to put more of our labor resources towards not just making the right cigars, but making right. more of the others. But then you run into certain issues because, all right, so I was looking at this one today. This is a great example. So the Lajero cabinet 500, 
which is the Escuro, very dark wrapper. Yep. Five and five and seven eighths by sixty ring gauge is the top seller in the Lajero cabinet line. The least best seller is the cigar. It's the L two hundred cabinet Escuro. It's a tiny cigar, right. hand rolled everything. The reason the L two hundred is made is because there's a little bit of tobacco left over on the wrapper side of it, so you can make a small like petite robusto or Corona out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why that cigar gets made. So there's a couple decisions to make. Do we make this other cigar so we can do something that little tobacco, or is it worth our time to make more of this other cigar of the bigger size that we'd sell? And if we do, do we have enough supply to exponentially make an impact on it? If we, you know, eliminate something else. Um, so there's decisions that are made at all levels. Sure. That are really unique and it's not just hey we're going to make this size we're going to make this shape hey we're just going to make more 700s more diggers more this um it's not just that decision there are some things that you make um you know as people like lands you know people like sorry coronas like oh i'm a corona smoker but, you know one of the reasons those got made is because there was parts of tobacco leaves left over after they wrapped some other sizes of cigars it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't like hey i'm just going to blend Uh, I'm going to take this wrapper leaf that's really rare and really expensive and it's huge and I'm only going to use one tenth of it and just make Corona's out of it. The rest of it, I'm going to throw away. Um, You know, that's not how it works. You know, these sizes exist, um, you know, for business reasons on top of personal enjoyment, combustion rate and and things like that. Can I uh, digress for one second here? Yeah. Okay. Because I just, something just came across the screen. I said, we talked yes. about how bad quarterback play is. I just want to read this <laughs> to you from tonight's game. So Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson are the two quarterbacks, okay? Tonight. And these are these are quarterbacks that have had a lot of success. Yes. You know, <laughs> Matt Ryan's quarterback rating is 43.6 tonight, and Russell Wilson's is 53.7. <laughs> and they have no touchdowns and three interceptions between them. <laughs> it's, <laughs> That's how bad it is. That's what this is how bad the quarterback play has been this year. <laughs> It's uh, the, it, it, the whole thing's awful. It's, it's not, it's the Thursday night football game with all of the glitz and glamor, right. the, the all-star lineup. Um, I think Samantha ponders the head host of it, of the pregame show. She's got a crazy, crazy group of, of retired all-star players. Fitzpatrick's on it. They've got a women's broadcast that Hannah storm does. Um, they've got the, the Spanish broadcast and they've got the, the stat station. That game is nine to six in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Nine so, so, so we usually compete with Thursday night football, but I think I'd like to think we have a good guest on. We have a pretty good audience tonight. So I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know if that game is competing or if it's you. <laughs> Same, but <laughs> I, I, it's, it's certainly not me. It's definitely that this, they're like, okay, this game's awful. People are sitting there. They're like, I got to get off Amazon. Let me jump on Facebook. And they're coming and seeing us. Yeah. I mean, cause we've, there's a couple, I mean, where we compete, I'm like, oh shit. It's like, you know, this big, like a few years ago, but, but, opening nights or something like that but yeah no no problem tonight with this game i don't think uh <laughs> well i i felt bad tonight for uh matthew tobacco the smoking tobacco show they had a they had a good show but they went they went head to head live with the McAuliffe ambassador group and the smoking socialites i'm sitting there watching this and i'm like <laughs> i was like what a what yeah. a bad draw on a thursday night it'd be like going going head to head practically yeah. it's like the next step down to going head to head with like the freestyle event i i gotta say this 
like Aaron, who really came up like, when Aaron, when I asked Aaron to do the show, he's, you know, he's on the West Coast. I, I can't do it any earlier than like seven o'clock my time, which is 10. And I, you know, I thought about my, it's probably not a bad, I guess no one's going to probably put a start a show at 10 o'clock. Uh, no, unless bear moves his bears. The only guy I know has a later start time than us on Sunday, yeah. but, but yeah, so it, it's, it's actually worked out well <laughs> for us. Um, at any time, any of us do the show, we all love in the industry. We all love doing it, but we all like the last thing I say to my wife when I walk out the door is, "Hey, babe, I'm sorry, this one's going to go kind of late." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll see you in the morning. You know? Well, okay, so yeah. so so yeah. Hey, have some pity for me because <laughs> I'm doing a show with Bear and Saka on the thirtieth. I, I I basically I may be taking the next day off from work because uh, it, it's it's a yeah it's like the thirtieth. So it's yeah I don't see. That's gonna go late. I'm just telling. <laughs> but we, uh, but yeah. So you, you talk about skews and, and everything yeah. like that. So I anticipate one thing that I really like about the cigar business is the actual business side yeah. of it. You know, strategic reasons yeah. for why people doing things, and and sometimes you know it rubs people the wrong way. I think from other companies, is I I give an opinion about what I think about the business yeah. reasons for someone doing something. Um, but I enjoy that side of it. Like I enjoy having a discussion about the Davidoff price increase. I, I enjoy having a discussion about people decreasing SKUs because I'm looking at that internally of, you know, in a different way of what, what's the appropriate number for us to do business-wise? What's the appropriate mm-hmm. things to scale back on? Uh, what's going to be the impact of this? Um, and watching other companies, even at different price levels that we may or may not compete with is very unique to me. Um, so the, the business side of this business is, is very fascinating to me. And, and it's also fascinating as an industry to watch how many lemonade stand operations there are too. I mean, and some successful ones too. Yeah. You know, there's some companies that are just disasters um, internally, and uh, they do awesome. So it's it's that's a unique thing too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it is amazing when I see basically one person doing it all. Sometimes um, it it it's very interesting on that. Um, the um, I just lost my train of thought. We're talking about the SKUs. Um, and I lost completely my train of thought. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. We're only, on, we're only on the opening conversation part of the agenda. Here. No, but we, like we actually... One and number two. No, but we actually hit the later part. So okay. We actually hit the last <laughs> bullet item. So, already. Because I was going to ask about the LG and the 8 and stuff. And uh, so, no, that's good. Um, Let's kind of go... Let's take a step back. So, so John, you know... LFT went through some. Sorry, sorry. What? Man, the comments on Facebook are a riot. <laughs> I, I'm assuming that you, you guys have created in this Discord some like very deranged nicknames for each other, and are okay with like the shaming that's happening, and it's just kind of spilling over into our chat, into our chat here. The the, the Discord group has been excellent. Um, some of it's borderline, uh, border, some of it's borderline, uh, you know, R-rated, X-rated, yep. some of the stuff. And the, the group is, it's a group of really great guys. And we, we've done some herfs with them too. And they are awesome. They're really good, really great cigar smokers. But when you give a bunch of, a bunch of people, um, which Discord's great, a bunch of people anonymity, the things that get said are just a riot. And, and yeah. the one of them, the one I'm laughing at was, uh, 
was Alan Nguyen asked what, uh, what museum does Coop work at? They ha- he hasn't seen he hasn't seen the other side of the estate. Yeah, like, like so. Yeah. So yeah. there is the parlor, okay? Which yeah. it had my drawers. It would have the ropes. I mean, it would have velvet ropes. Um, it's closed off. I I don't let anyone go in there except my wife's allowed in there. Like kids are not like they're older, and I don't even let them go in there. They go in there like once a year for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So, so it's been, uh, you know, it's been it's been interest it's been interesting. It's been great. You know, it's 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 fun to have a, a group of people that are passionate about it to support us. Yeah. Um. And and you know, vehemently support us. And and, and uh, it's been great. It's been kind of fun. And I never, uh, you know, I, I never really thought about that until it started with the NFT project, the Discord. And because uh, that was really just really relegated to like, you know, digital discussions, um, video game watching this is huge on there and it's very lucrative for people. Uh, but the the instant communication you have with people and the it's been great and uh, it's been fun. But yeah, some of the stuff's just a riot. I mean, it's, I, I lose it every day. The LFT's had a very strong social media form for as long as I know. I mean, there's the old, you know, not the old group, but there's the collectors groups I remember that were out there for a long time. You know, people would just put out that what their LFD collections were and their rarities and stuff. And I mean that that was always fun to watch that as well. Yeah, in in the the collectors, this is one of the things I think we'll probably get into NFT later. So I, I can yeah, bring we're we're we're, we're heading close to that. We're about to get. But to this that. is this is one of the things that was interesting to me when I'm having discussions with the the owners the the owners in the which we call the Golden Circle. Uh, the owners of the NFT, uh, I've been talking about being patient. Like they have an opportunity to grow something here that's very unique, very high end. That they're one of seven people in the world that has it. Imagine if you were a, if you were a Cuban cigar retailer and you were one of seven people in the world that could sell bahikis. How crazy that would be if you were just patient with it and manage it. And and it took time to get there. It wasn't like overnight. The bahiki was the gold you know the crown jewel of cuban cigars and cohiba that took time to get to that and it took patience so imagine if you had one of seven people that had that and you had the opportunity to be very patient knowing that you were only ever going to be one of seven but i also saw that on a level of being patient whereas if you held on to these things for a period of time there are legitimate cigar collectors out there and there are legitimate lfd cigar collectors that only want vintage products that are dated in boxes sealed and i run into them not as often now because a lot of the vintage products have gone into people's private collections um and uh, the last big push i did was probably seven eight years ago i cleaned out a aging room area of our walk-in cooler at the factory at the uh, at the office in miami and anything we had more than one of I'd put one in a private collection for the Gomez family. And then I'd put the others in a separate section just off to the side. And I did this for like four days. And at the end of the fourth day, I called up like five retailers that I knew were big vintage collectors. And I said, Hey, I've got this list of things. What do you want? And I sent them to them. And as soon as I sent them out, I started getting phone calls from the consumers and the collectors. And they'd call me up. Hey, I'm looking for this. Sorry to bother you. And it's funny because once the once the products got, I just don't hear from those people anymore. Right. Um, and occasionally I'll hear back from one of them with a like, "Hey, I don't know if you remember me, 
Um, and I usually do because it's it's some request for something very rare that I haven't seen in forever. Um, and there's a huge collection, and that's only going to get bigger with time. Um, so it's, it's, it is it is an interesting following that we have um, at, at all different levels. And it's, it's something you don't see unless you're intimately involved in it, um, you know, day to day for an extended period of time. And it's certainly fun to know that that exists. Yeah, no, it is true. It is definitely true with that. Um, you know, and it's like, there's only a handful of brands, I think, that have that. So, I mean, I think you could say Tatawai is a very similar one, too. You know, it's, I would 100% agree. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But, but there's not a lot of those companies out there that have that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, the w- one thing, it's funny you mentioned Tatawai coming up in Halloween time. I'm, I'm really excited for somebody to throw up because it's not it's not going to happen right now because he hasn't really ended the Halloween edition of the Monster Series. Um I can't wait in like 15, 20 years to see what a complete set of that goes for, like with everything unopened. I mean, it's got to be out of control. If you just take all of those projects and what the retail value was of them, period, it's quite substantial purchase anyway. So what's it going to be like when you add the add the time, you know, time impact on it and the rarity of it? I last year when the Monster Mash came out. I bought three three boxes, two for reviews, and one I've just put away. And I did that with the when the Avo LE set came out in 2014, and I have one put away. I don't know when I'll ever open these, right? But I have them, um, and they're, they're in my humidor. I, I do check on them periodically, you know, make sure they're okay. But yeah, um, it, but it, so it is interesting, you know to do that you know i the funny thing is i still like I've, I've knocked a lot of the taa cigars i still buy them all and I, I have some like complete sets like and i don't think any i don't know how many people i kept complete sets of some of these years so the so. taa one's an interesting is an interesting collection it's it, for me when i look at the taa products and i'm on the i'm on the advisory board for another like six months um I think the reason why I don't know if this is accurate on your end is you and you and I really haven't had the discussion about it. We talk about the TAA products right. and whatnot, but I've never really deep dived in it. But for me, the TAA products, and I think us as association and that board understands this to an extent. But it's just kind of been a hodgepodge of released of releases over the years. Um, again, there's been no real continuity to it. Pete Johnson's has had a lot of continuity, right? Pete John- There's three companies that have a continuity. Yeah. Ours you guys, has had a lot of continuity Pete to and it. Crown Heads. Yep. And those happen yeah. to be the three most consistent ones, I'll say. Yeah, yeah and, and they are. And I try to have this discussion. Rocky's done kind of well with it. Um, there's been some that have been, you know, right along those lines. But if he'd done, if he picked a, a line and went with it every year and picked different sizes or something like that, um, I think there'd be a lot of sense, but outside of those three, those three brands we just mentioned, it's kind of a hodgepodge of releases. And if you're reviewing them or you're doing news on them, it's a little bit, I mean, you're really kind of doing hodgepodge news. You know, this is not a, this is not a scrapbooking committee. So I, I have used the term with some of these releases. They're very similar to what can I say? Lost and found releases where it seems like the stuff that they've gotten, like a lot of times you'll see an alternate blend or something like that, you know, that, that they'll produce, but there's not a lot of, like you said, there's not a lot of brand building with it. Um, and 
I kind of, like I said, I, I really like what you guys have done the last few years with, with the, uh, you know, with, with the gold series, I have the Oro series um, for sure. I mean, I just think there's Pete's kind of, he's had kind of his style too with a couple of deviations, but for the most part, he's kept it pretty consistent. And then crown heads is, they just, you know, they've been doing that for about a decade as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I think well, you, you mentioned something unique brand building. So that was the goal with all of our projects over the last eight, nine years with the TAA right. releases. It started out where we let the retailers pick which sizes they wanted based off of certain blends. And then we worked with those sizes. Then we started then we took the sizes that they said they liked the best and then started making our 50th anniversary series out of it. And then I, that, that line has become a line that people smoke. They recognize it as a high end product. And I promise you within the next two years, uh, this will be our last release this coming this year. It's going to be the golden Solomon. Right. Uh, once that's done in the next 24 months after that, that line that we've done a variation of that line will be released as a brand under LFD. And then they will be released uh, to a certain number of retailers. And that's the success that you can have with it rather than just making a limited edition and saying, Hey, it's good. And you get a money grab. Like you ought to do something with it. Yeah. CLE and, and La Polina have done a little bit of that where they'll, they'll release something a year earlier maybe. And then they make it a regular production line. So they've done a little, I, I kind of don't, I think that's not a bad thing to do either. Kind of, you kind of test the waters with it. I, I think this last year, the 2022 year, for the TA releases has been the best. La Polina knocked it out of the park with the branding. Um, they, they got, I don't know if you saw it, that's just the, or it's, I, it's, I think it's out, um, but it's a Kill Bill TA edition. It's got blood splatters on it. The thing looks great. Special bands. Now, you may or may not, the cigar may or may not be to your liking, but as a product that's going to be successful on a marketing and branding level, they really br- embraced that yeah. uh, this year. So it'd be interesting to see if they continue on with that. So there's been better. It's been better this year. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's it's kind of been a hodgepodge over the years. Um, and it's been for the, again, it's been for the sake of releasing a cigar to get it out yeah. rather than, hey, what can I do to learn some things here and, and maybe make this something bigger for me in the future? Because, I mean, in reality for us over the last eight years, that's allowed us to build a brand of cigars that are all 20 to $25 that we're going to be able to release and get and, and sell at that price point because there's eight years of evidence that it worked. You know, uh, when I went into uh, Tinderbox, Craig Cass's shop recently, and I don't get down there. He's, he's about an hour from my house. So it, it's not a store I can always get to, but I do like getting in there when I'm in the area. And he had recently put in a cabinet outside a humidified cabinet outside the humidor. And he's showcasing the TAA and the PCA exclusives. And I was like, and I've seen years, I've said retailers, that's what they need to do with these things. Showcase these and, and kind of treat them elite, you know, and, and the way he had them set up in this cabinet was, I think, just the way to go with that. And instead of burying them in your humidor. Well, it's a matter of understanding internally as a retailer what you're going to do with the product, no matter what the manufacturing side does on it. But I think a lot of it gets buried in the humidor because of the way that it's set out. It's like, hey, let's just get this cigar out. This is going to be a yeah. limited edition. This is part of the TA exclusive, so you got to buy it because you remember. Um, you know, so a lot of it's been that way. Whereas the biggest excitement comes from you know what Pete Johnson's done, which rightfully so is the reason he sells thousands of those yeah. boxes a year. Um, it's because it's it's been done right from 
the very beginning of him starting doing it. Yeah. I mean, it was Pete did it, then you guys did it, and then Crown Heads did it. It was in that order. And uh, like I said, I think it's, you know, and then it, you guys have established the track. These three companies have established the track record on these things. So I think there's a little bit of a known quantity. And it was good that Pete got back into the TA. He took a year off last year, but he got back into it this year. So, uh I thought it was. I thought he did a good job. I thought everyone, you know, the U three company have done a good job with that. Um, and I think if if the TA and you're on the advisor, but and obviously you're telling them if if more companies kind of started working with this and made some commitments to this, I think you know the TA series could could really be what I think I my high expectations of it are. Yeah, and, and then in the reverse side, it's not just doesn't just lay on the manufacturers to do it. Um, you know, it's got to go in the reverse direction too, where it comes back and there's real feedback yeah. on it. You know, hey, this is this is yeah. what I want. This is what we expect. If you can't do this, then you know we're not. Then you know it doesn't make sense for us to. Do. We're still going to support you, but I, you know, I think sometimes people are worried that you know a, a manufacturing partner might get butt hurt if you tell them no. Um, yeah, which is fine. Now, if you tell them no and call them they're an idiot and then just you know don't support it after that's a different story. But part of a good business relationship is is taking feedback back and forth whether you like it or not um you know like as i said i there's, there's nobody in this industry that gets more feedback about how we operate as a business than i do from consumers retailers uh you guys are crazy there's not enough cigars there's not this and, but but i also get feedback hey don't rush the cigars we understand it i, I love the fact that these things sell out every time they come in and it's quick um so i get endless amounts of feedback um, so it's not a bad thing to get, you know, get things that you necessarily wouldn't like or take a little bit of heat. Um, if you can't handle it, then, then that's, that's on yeah. the person receiving it. Cause you know, if it's, if it's well-intentioned with, with proof and evidence, like as we just talked about, it doesn't, it's not just a coincidence that Pete Johnson's the crown heads and our products tend to do the best with that type of setup. It's not a coincidence. Um, so there is a guide map that works, um, with anything. Agree. So let's, let's get into it. Let's get into the NFT. We have, we've been kind of talking about it. Let's get into it. The, this, so the story of this, I know, I know, and it's pretty well documented. This was Tony's brainchild, right? Um, and he kind of came up with this. Take me maybe through the early part of like when this idea was kind of presented to, you know, Lido and, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious about that, you know, in general, like this concept, because definitely a very, you really have to, like most people don't understand. And I'm not going to say I understand it because I don't. Right. But there's people who do. So Tony saw something, I guess, and saw an opportunity here to do this. So Tony, Tony started smoking a smaller size of the Andalusian bowl. And it's the same size as this, this autumn cigar I got right. here. And it, this is not the same blend. This was is that the Jack, is that the Jack Schwartz one or is this different? No, that's Jack a smaller engagement. Right. You're right. You're right. Just, all right. Correct. You're it right. It was a Toro. Yep. Okay. That was yeah. You're right. Anniversary, which was awesome. By the way, that was a really free. Unbelievable. I agree. I've had it. It's unbelievable. Un- unbelievable. The, the yeah. Andalusian Bowl, don't get me wrong, is is great. I enjoy it. There's certain times that I enjoy it more because of the size, but the, the Toro size of that thing was just awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I, I, of course, this is, of course, this is a, a one-time project for a 100th anniversary of one yeah. of his best friends 
was like, cause I, I smoke, I had two boxes and I have one left, one cigar. And cause I just couldn't stop smoking them. Right. But, um, so the, the early stage was Tony was smoking the cigar. So we'd go around down to the factory. It was like three, four years ago. We started messing around with the size, I think. So we're in Miami in right after it was mid 2020, right after they, the re- retailers were able to open up again in Miami. So it was probably August or September 2020. So Tony and I sat down and we're smoking a cigar. He was in Miami for the night. So we're hanging out and um, he goes, Hey, if you pay attention to any of this NFT stuff. And I said, yeah, I go, I, I pay attention to it, but I don't really understand it. I go, it's like digital art. And he was like, well, it's a lot deeper than that. He goes, it's a digital technology that's on the blockchain. And so we just started talking. He's like, well, I got this idea of doing an NFT. And I said, well, that'd be cool. I go, but I go, why would anybody have the desire, you know, on a grand scheme of buying one of these? And he says, well, he goes, have you seen what Jake Paul is doing with NFTs? And I said, well, I see his pictures. He's doing like this Polaroid thing. He's like, no, he goes, but the unique thing that he's doing, he goes, is they sell with the, with the digital image inside of it. He goes, there's a digital contract that's certified through the blockchain with endless redundancies to prove ownership um, and eliminate fraud in terms of ownership. And he goes, the owner gets access to exclusive content. He's like, whether it be, um, you know, deep dives where they're talking about business or exclusive content and interviews with other business people. He goes, they're selling, he goes, access to themselves. And I said, that's interesting. So that, that's really what the celebrities were doing too. With You saw the Tom Brady ads mm-hmm. uh, where he's involved in the NFT thing, they're essentially selling access to themselves. Right. Where, you know, once every quarter you get a, you get a sit down meeting with Tom Brady you know, or Michael Jordan or whoever's involved. Jay-Z, I think, had, had a big one. And I said, interesting. I, so what do you think? And he's like, this cigar, he go, would be the access. And I was like, wow. I go, dude, I go, that's great. I go, I, I say run with it. And he's like, yeah. He goes, I'm going to talk to my, he goes, my dad a little bit more about it. He's like, but I think it's kind of an off the wall idea. He goes, but I think it would be huge. And I said, I go, I think that would be massive. I go, I think it would be very unique. It's the right cigar blend. It's, there's the right demand that we already see behind it. Um, I go, it's a great cigar. I really enjoy it. I go, so it would stand up to to the uniqueness and limited nature of this, the way it would be on. So anyway, we just ping pong some ideas off me. And I said, go with it. So anyway, they started the process. And the plan was actually to release this much earlier. Um, we were trying to be the first to do something like that. Um, and we, we didn't just because the time that really goes into do it the way that we did it. We had to, you know, produce the humidors, have those custom made artwork, right. um, the, uh, the auction process. It's not just as easy. You know, it's easier now to we've been successful and we have a relationship with an auction house. So people in the cigar industry that are interested in doing NFTs, guess what? We get a phone call and say, hey, you, this is a known entity. They did a good job. They were legitimate and no, no, no issues. Right. Um, but that took time to research who's the right place to do it with, who are the right people to work it, um, and then, you know, doing your due diligence. Uh, so that's how that project came up. But uh, the thing that people miss, and I think still miss on this, and it's okay if they miss it. I'm not just, I'm not talking 
uh, trolling. I'm not talking saying it's a, that people say it's scam because that's trolling. Um, people who are legitimately interested in it and see that it was successful, what what they're missing and they can't wrap their head around is that it's not about the digital image. The digital image is the contract. It's about the contract that you have with buying the and owning the NFT. You have the right to get these these limited products. So I use an example that I said earlier with the Bahiki, but let's see another one. Let's let's say one one of I think one of the most limited high end cigars out there, besides Oro Blanco, is either in my opinion in the last five to ten years is the Padron 50th, for example, was huge when that mm-hmm. first came out. And then an ongoing side, which Padron 50 is pretty much ongoing right now as well. You can reorder yeah. those. Is the Davidoff Royal releases. So imagine if you were one of seven people in the world that had a contract that gave you the right to be the exclusive buyer. And then to determine if you either one, want to sell them on a secondary market or just keep them. And do whatever you want to with it. Right. And I think on the retail level, what people got caught around is like they hear secondary market and they don't realize that they were the secondary market. Yeah. Um, the buyer and the owner of the, the NFT is the first part of that market. And where the NFT technology is huge is the actual technology and the contract, not the art. The contract in this level is where the value is at. Um, because, you know, Lito's famous in the cigar world, but he's not uh, Jay-Z, you know, so it's not like someone's going to pay a million dollars to sit down and have a conversation with Lito once a month. Right. Um, that's just not real. So there has to be some tangible good with it. If a tangible good is the contract and the ability to buy these cigars and determine what you want to do on a secondary market. And being such a limited side of it so again the the this is 70 cigars a month for <laughs> my dog's coming out <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah his name's jonathan as well he, he was he was a little on we think he had a concussion yesterday he was a little bit weird <laughs> but he's back to normal and then my daughter tried to, to, to end his life today with a sippy cup um anyway but the limited nature, so we're talking 70 cigars of something that's very limited, very high end, um, got a lot of excitement behind it because of the technology that was used, the way that it went out there. Obviously, there's a high price tag that the owners bought, but the imagine being one of those people that got, so imagine being one of seven people that got to sell, I mean, Drew Estate kind of did it, I think with the, um, what was it, the, the, the Liga 10s? Yeah. Where they picked, they had, there was just one was one retailers. I mean, look what Pete Johnson's done with the Halloween editions with the luck, unlucky 13. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. And that's a lot more cigars. Uh, you know, that's hundreds of boxes. But he had a, each but, of those but, 13 people. But they had to handpick those guys. And then suddenly you're the yes. bad guy if you're handpicking them, right? This is a blockchain, yes. so it's a, it's yes. a different now. Now, so now, we're talking, yeah, we're talking similar concepts put together in one in a digital contract that that person then owns it, and they can sell it, do what they want to do with it. If people see the value of it, then they can buy it. And um, you know, being patient in turn uh, initially is going to really impact the price of what these go for. I um, mean, the willingness for people to happen because it's a very, very small amount 
of product and it's literally for the entire world is your playground with it. Um, so it'll be interesting. I said, there'll be some of the, you know, I think some of the owners really grasp it. Um, I think the ones that don't fully grasp it yet um, will when they start seeing what can happen with this product. Uh, and it's, it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be really interesting. And it's uh, it's a really unique concept. And the, uh, it, it's an, it's not digital art. It's a digital contract. And it was, it, it's something that the people are going to see in the future uh, with everything. Uh, you know, that's going to be what you know, the lean on your, uh, on your houses, uh, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the title to your car, uh, the mortgage on your house is going to be an NFT uh, or, or some sort of technology that was created based off of that technology that's utilizing the same concept. Um, so, you know, you're not seeing the end of this and the, the uses that it has, uh, it's it's a really fascinating technology. The uh, and I thought a smart move you guys did was bringing that to the trade show, because you kind of were able to show what what this was going to look like, and if there were retailers that wanted to get involved with it, they can actually physically see this. So I thought that was a, a really smart move having that in the booth. Yeah, and and you know, not just for their interest level of of maybe buying it, but it was important for them to watch it, see it go on because if this is, even though there's seven owners of this, there's going to be demand on the secondary market or third markets. And the retailer needs to under, needs, needs to have seen it, needs to understand what the concept was, needs to have needed to have it explained um, and witness it so they can explain it to their side. And then that may be something that they're interested in, in the future too. Um, you know, there's nothing saying that the owners have to just put it on the website and sell it or just sell it in the store. Uh, you know, a retailer that's a nice spot could say, Hey, I want to buy one of these and I need to sell it in my store and people want it. And I'm going to call these people up and get on a list and try to buy some. Yeah. Um, so having them educated on what's going on is important, even if they're not an owner and directly participating in it, they are directly participating in it. Uh, and, and honestly, this, this program in general and the whole concept that we have at the end with the golden NFT really impacts our brand as a whole too. It, it elevated uh, what we were doing. You know, we didn't anticipate it going for go, them going as much as they did go for. We thought they were going to go, you know, I, I anticipated probably 40 to 60,000 on the high end uh, for one of them. They all obviously went higher than that. So we didn't expect it like that. But um, I, I think, you know, I think Abe was the one that said it right. He's like, I don't understand this. He goes, but the results don't lie. And Abe, Abe like bashed it on a show years ago. <laughs> Abe actually went and bashed the concept. Yeah, now, now I, I now always I remind him of that. <laughs> now I talk to him every week, and I've invited him to an NFT party that we're doing in Miami <laughs> at the end of November. But, uh, but one thing, you know, it was interesting, you know, because he, he did say, "I don't understand it. I don't grasp it. The, 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 it doesn't lie, and, and it doesn't." And and it really showed the type of reputation. I mean, for us too. I mean, we, we really. Tony really put himself out there on this project. Yeah. We really put ourselves out there. If it, if it crashed and burned, it wasn't a good look, uh, but it wasn't. And, and, and people really respected the brand and it really elevated us and showed a lot of people, I think, you know, where we are as a company right now in terms of um, perception overall. I could tell you, I'll speak for myself. Um, we have an internal like media chat and we got into this pretty quick. I mean, is what I'm going to say. Uh, we were very, we were following the bidding of all this stuff. I mean, it was like, it was, 
it, we were talking about it is what I'm saying. As these things were going and these numbers were, were getting floated out and who was going to get bumped. I mean, we had some pretty interesting. We were, it was very interesting. Those, those conversations we had on a media thread about that. And I'm the guy, again, I, I kind of called it voodoo economics at one point. Right. So I was like, I'm, I'm one, but it, as I was saying, you can't argue that, that the thing obviously caught a lot of attention. I mean, it, it, it created a, a, a story for a very limited release on top of that. You think about that. You know, it's some people throw around the term, oh, NFTs are a scam. This and Anything is a scam if scammers are using it. <laughs> like your cell phone's not a scam because 90% of the phone calls you get on it are yeah. scam calls. It's a scam because scammers are utilizing it for that. Yeah. Are there, are there nefarious things that NFTs could get used for? And probably do is there money laundering? Yeah, there there probably is where somebody sells someone a bunch of drugs, and instead of they, they create some NFT that's a, a monkey jumping around on a uh, you know on a tree, and they sell it to someone for two million bucks. Like, why did someone pay two million? Well, that that could be something. But scammers create scams. Technology that's utilized for scamming doesn't necessarily have to be a scam. Um, so it's all a matter of you do it, and it's. You know, the, the people that bought these the people are like, oh, that's crazy. I can't believe they spent that much money on a scam. I, I, other than an opinion or you just someone just saying something, show me how you paying for something, paying for a service and then me providing you that service is a scam. Um, you know, they were willing to pay what they paid. They're going to get their, their goods and services as promised and as guaranteed in their contract. Um, and, and that's that's just how it works. Um, but you know, if we sold these things for nearly three quarters of a million dollars and then it was like, oh, hey, uh, now here's your humidor. And, and can I order the cigars? Oh, no, sorry. The cigars are uh, the cigars aren't we're not going to do the cigars. That's a scam. But that, that's not what that's not what's happening. So one thing I actually wanted to ask along those lines, and I haven't asked this, is, you know, this is you mentioned secondary tertiary markets, right? Um. It's counterfeiting. By the way, can I ask you a question? Yeah. What is, is tertiary, is, how do I describe third market? Like tertiary. A secondary market. Is it ter tertiary it's, three? It's, ter it's tertiary three. I couldn't tell you what okay. four is, but tertiary is three. It's fine. Because I, I, I'm going to start using it because I was sitting there today and I keep saying third market. Right. And I'm like, that's such a crappy term. I'm like, there's got to be some other term. Tertiary. It's right. tertiary. Yeah. All right. Got it. Yeah. So sorry, I changed your. No, change no, your it, that's fine. That's a good, good question. Um, so I wondered about counterfeiting, right? Because these can be. I mean, is there anything you guys are gonna be doing on that, or have thought about yeah. that? Yeah, let me let me show you. Okay, I can share my screen here. Um, this is uh, one thing I got. I got to give you permission. Hang on a second. Okay. Yeah. So I'll do that. So okay, you can do that now. So every. Every one of the every one of the bulls of the golden NFT, the gold the goldens. Let me pull this up here. All right, share screen. Every one of the goldens is coming with a holographic tertiary oh. band. Okay. Um so you can see the the holographic the hologram. Yeah, yeah. So that that, yep. that hologram has a very distinct holographic um, holographic nature to it, and 
also, uh, I've talked with a few of the Golden Circle owners, um, and some of the Golden Circle owners will also be doing a um, an additional process of authenticity. Uh, for example, uh, lucky number seven winner, Cigars on the Avenue, Don Patel, is doing a NFC, an NFC holographic sticker that's going to go on the bottom of each box that he signs himself and dates when the box comes in. Um, so that'll authenticate it on that level too. So you'll have authentication on the cigar itself, and then you'll have authentication on the box itself. Now, the, 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 the only real issue where you're going to come into um, counterfeit market, which the NFT technology actually helps with, um, is if you don't buy from one of the owners. So if you're buying these on a down the line further, um, say somebody posted online and they say, I have X, Y, I have this box or whatever um, of golden NFTs and I want X number of thousands of dollars and whatnot. Well, how can I authenticate it was bought? Well, the owner of the golden circle can authenticate who they sold that to. And then as you get further down the line, it's the same thing with artwork. Uh, you know, if you're buying like fine art, um, you know, it's authenticated with paperwork. Now, I'm not saying there'll be paperwork everywhere down the line, yep. but if you're buying from somebody and you want to make sure it's authentic, the closer you get to the NFT Golden Circle owner, they can authenticate where it was. So if you're buying from the owner, you can go online and see that they own it, see that it's authentic and it proves that then if you go down the line they say they sold it to a secondary uh, another owner down the line and they bought somebody bought it you could look hey well where did you pick this up oh it's here you could then call up that retailer and say i want to just authenticate what i'm buying is real right um so th there's a process that you can do that now it's somewhat time consuming but uh you know if you're really concerned about it there's a really ironclad way uh to research and dig deep into into whose it is Yep. No. Okay. Good. Yeah. I had not known that part. So, um, good job on that for, for sure. And so, you know, obviously all the owners, you guys are, are pretty close contact with the owners. It sounds like, and, um, have, have you started shipping to any of the, uh, anyone yet? So tomorrow, tomorrow, number, number four, all the humidors arrived in Miami today from Spain. Um, so all the golden humidors, the golden bullion humidors arrived today from Spain and every one of the owners will have them, uh, by Monday. Um, they'll be shipping out tomorrow. Um, actually, you know what? Check that. They'll be shipping out next week. The, the cigars for the filling of the humidors are shipping in. They're coming in on Monday. Uh, right. So the humidors will be in the retailers next week. However, number four will be in its home tomorrow. Tony's flying up to Pennsylvania. Um, Exton, Pennsylvania, to Sun Cigar Lounge. Right, uh, it's just outside of Philly, and they're doing a launch event there with uh, with Number Four. Uh, so that will be on site there. Uh, it'll be just the cigars and the humidor. The first shipment of the five boxes of fourteen are going to show up towards the end of October. Mm -hmm. um, but all the all the owners are taking their first shipment, so those will be out there. Uh, so you'll start to see those cigars in uh, early November. Now, some of the other owners are taking different approaches with it. Some people are holding on to the first several months of it, setting up a you know display in the stores. Everybody's got a different concept of how they're going to handle it. 
Um, some are closer than others. Some are, some are actively going to be out there immediately. Uh, so I, I think even if you see them out there, uh, where it's going to settle in is going to take probably six to eight months to settle in to see what's going to work with these. Because at first, people aren't sure what price points they have. So you're going to see some high. You're going to see some low. I think high is going to be more likely where it's going to end up over time. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But that first six to eight months, I would, you know, sit back and look. You know, if one comes out at 100 bucks and one comes out at 200 bucks, don't, you know, it doesn't mean that one person's price gouging and the other isn't. Uh, that, you know, the lower level is probably going to end up creeping up because we're talking a very small amount of product. And I said, everybody's got different concepts with it. So we'll, we'll see what happens on that level. But those will be, uh, those humidors will be in the, in, in the owner's hands next week. Um, and then tomorrow, if you're in Exton, Pennsylvania, you can get out there at the Sun Cigar Lounge um, and see one firsthand. And that's, that's NFT number four. Right, right. The uh, Suns, by the way, they, they were, I mean, we, we talked about this in our media chat. That was brilliant what they did with, with that lottery system. Yeah, was, other than it, the it, fact it, that there was, <laughs> there was some legal issues with it, but. Um, oh, no, really. Yeah, it was, it was, a, I mean, it was a cool idea. It was a really good idea. Um, it was so brilliant that the government's regulated things like that. It's, it's called games of chance. <laughs> oh. And, uh, and there was cross state lines. Uh, they didn't do anything <laughs> illegal. Uh, it was just, right. you can't, you can't necessarily, you can't do games of chance like that. It's like the slot machine, you know, cause the, the, the odds were already really displayed, even though it wasn't on there. Uh, so they can, you know, they're doing something similar in the store, uh, but they did have to change the way they were, they were doing it uh, initially because it's, I said, it's, it's, it's so brilliant. There's, there's a whole city was built on it in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Uh, it was kind of fun following some of the, uh, some of the, uh, odds like we were calculating like i think it was on was calculating some odds from drew estate and you know it was very interesting to see how that was all working so but i thought it was a very i thought it was a brilliant move i actually thought it was you know hey look you could take a shot and get this thing you know hey i'm gonna be honest i don't know like it's, they say they spent close to 100 grand i don't know how much is a I, how much was a gambling license in the state of pennsylvania i might have looked up and been like Hey, can can I buy a gambling license for twenty five grand and and, and well, do something even crazier with it? Right. The problem what they did in Pennsylvania is the state issued a limited number of gambling licenses, so not anyone can just go get a gambling license. It has to be you have to kind of apply to the state, and they grant you like you know it's they they but there's a finite amount they keep from what I understand on that. Someone from Pennsylvania maybe will correct me on it, but I believe that's how it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Actually, here I'm just trying to look. Were there, Aaron? Were there any? Were there any interesting questions on the NFT in the uh, comments? Uh, yeah, somebody made a comment about um, you know if it's um, you know it's a concept for only a small percentage of consumers, and I was like saying like you know does does it need to be for everyone? Like, can't there be you know unique small batch limited releases that only a, a small number of people can get their hands on? It's, it's okay to do that. As long as you're, you yeah, know, I mean, if you, you know, if your whole business model is built around it and, you know, people feel like they're left out, but if you sell, if you sell what you make and you can continue to do business, that's your business model. Coincidentally on the same, the same week that we announced the NFT project, um, we also announced a project that I was working on, which was called the rolling, uh, the rolling school. Um, yep. which is based off our training program. Yep. And so the same day we released the NFT where everybody's like, this is a crazy amount of money. 
We also released our our most inexpensive product at the same time too, that that retails at three dollars, uh, three to four dollars. Yeah. Um, so that was coincidentally at the same time. So yeah, you're not going to have something for everybody, um, you know. And fortunately, in this business, you know, I I, I want people to smoke LFD. Most of our most of our line is accessible by everyone. Uh, this product itself, the NFT, the, the actual cigar itself is accessible by anyone that's willing to pay whatever the market will, uh, will sure. absorb and, and handle. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of things that, that I can't buy either. Like I, I have Ferrari sunglasses. I can't I can't afford a Ferrari. Right. Um, you know, but they should give like you that. one because they should give everyone one. So. I agree. I agree. <laughs> but that's a good question. And, you know, that's why you have other offerings. And then there are companies that are built off of that. You know, you look at a brand right now like El Semptopel. El Septimo was built off of being accessible to a very, very small group across the board. Um, you know, it's, it's a very small percentage of a very small thing. Uh, so there are brands that are built that way. And just because we don't like it doesn't mean that, uh, that there's an issue with it. But, you know, with us in LFD, our, our mantras, we, we want to be accessible by everyone. Um, but at the same time, we, we, we will have unique projects. But uh, again, it, it's, not, uh, it's not limited to who can have it and who can buy it. You know, it was interesting uh, when I was coming back from Boston, I was stuck in the airport uh, at a flight delay cancel. So I'm in the airport all day and I get this phone call from Abe. Right. And Abe tells me what he's doing. Right. And I, you know, after I laughed at him, right. <laughs> right. Um, but he obviously he had a product that he felt he could do this with, with, with the anarchy. Right. And my, one of my questions to Abe was like, Hey, like, what does LFD think of you kind of doing this? He kind of riding the coattails. His answer back to me was he was talking to you on this thing. Uh, like you, you so it was her. funny. Yeah. It was funny because uh, Abe called me. Um, I think it was at, I think it was the day before the last NFT. I was flying, out, I was up in Maine. I was flying to Omaha, Nebraska the next morning. So it was the night before number seven ended. And he called me. And he said, uh, he's like, hey, how's it going? He texts me. He always texts me first. Hey, yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah. You. Call me when you get a second. I want to talk to you about something. All right, cool. Yep. And then usually I don't see the text for four or five hours. And then I text him later. And yep. then it's the same thing reverse. He's like, I don't see it. We catch up the next morning. Right. And so he, he calls me and says, hey, I'm looking at doing an NFT. And I said, I heard you were. And he's like, how? And I said, I go, I just, I go, I just had a conversation with some people. And they, they were talking that you were doing one. He goes, it's not possible. He goes, because I literally, he goes, just got off the phone with Pete Johnson. And he goes, and you were the next person I called. He, he, <laughs> he see, in one of our news segments I do, when I talked about this, I, he almost slipped something with it that he was thinking about doing it. So that's where it may have came from. But he didn't, but you know, when I did the news segment, I remember Abe didn't like bash it, right? Like he was like more interested in this. And then he kind of, him and Alex kind of said something to make me think the wheels were turning. I didn't think they were. And then it was a week later where it actually came out. Yeah. And we were, we were in, and Matthew uh, tobacco was with me because he did, he did, I mean, he did like play by play coverage of the whole NFT launch and auction process. And he was with us for the launch party down in Miami. And so the next morning we, we went to sit down with Abe because I hadn't seen him in person for a while because the hadn't been in that part of the state as I live up in Orlando now. And so we sat down and they were asking tons of questions and he was really interested in it. He was like, this is a really unique concept. He's like, it makes so much more sense to me now. I still don't get it. He goes, but he goes, at least the inner workings of it makes sense. Right. You know, in, in a, I think the anarchy project is going to be cool. Um, I think it's going to do well. 
I, if I was doing a Tatuaje, uh, if I was doing a Tatuaje NFT, I would do a Halloween edition driven project. I would do 13 NFTs. I would do 13 exclusive cigars, 13 people. They get 13 boxes a year. And those things would go for well over a hundred thousand dollars. Um, you know, and it would be huge. So that, that he has such a unique brand with that. And I know he doesn't probably want to mess with that. Um, especially since he's going together with a retailer, you know, I think it was, I think it was a lot of the push was Abe on this. Yeah. And, and, and that's not from conversations. I never asked him that. I never said whose idea, like, who brought this up or anything, but I think a lot of the push was him. Yeah. I think so too. Uh, but if I was doing a tattoo NFT, I would do something Halloween related and talk about out of control. Um, you want to see unlucky 13. That would be the most unlucky 13 people on the planet, but the most lucky at the same time. Had Pete not really re-released the Frank last year, that probably would have been the opportunity to do it with the Frank. Because it's the mm-hmm. mo- it was the rarest one. It was the most sought after one. I had never even smoked the original. Most people never even had smoked that original one. That probably would have been the one to do it with. So, um, I yeah, mean, there's, there's a lot of cool concepts, but that, that would have been huge. I, I tell you, like 13 of those, I mean, the our product with this, with the Andalusian Bull, has our it's a, it's a different product than Halloween edition. Um, you know, it's it's an individual cigar, it's a very luxury type item, it's very regal in the way that it looks. The Andalusian Bull itself, obviously, the golden is. Is its own. We just looked at it there. It's, it's a really beautiful piece. The final of packaging looked art. a lot better than what yeah, I had well, originally just seen. Way you yeah. haven't seen the final, final pack. Oh, okay. The, the, the 14 count boxes are different too. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I haven't physically seen that yet. But, okay. Uh, so it's a very different concept. And it's something that's building on something that's kind of still at its young part. You know, Andalusian Bull's been out six years. And this exclusive side of it with exclusive size of it and being so limited is something that's going to take a little bit of time to grow. And that's why I say the owners need to be patient because they're building something that could be the next Oro Blanco, that could be the next anything. It could be, you know, it could be its own thing. You know, it could be the next best thing. Um, Pete's got, man, like almost 20 years worth of Halloween brand building that is crazy already. And if you just took it and made something even crazier with it, I mean, I, I would venture to say that, you know, right out of the gate, that would be, you know, would be insane. And he already kind of does it, you know, there's the unlucky 13, you picked it this time. You know, this is, this is, you're not picking any bad guys this time right. around. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of concepts that you could have done with it, but I, I think the project's going to be cool. I think it's going to work for him. I think it's going to be nice. I, I think it will not be um, as successful as a Halloween edition concept would have been for a monster series type thing but uh you know that doesn't mean you can't do something with it in the future last question on the nft i have uh would you guys do another one right now i i don't know if we have another product that we would put on a pedestal like that to be really honest um you've got to have something that is is a high as a very high quality product that's also in very high demand. And when you look around the cigar industry, pick cigars and companies that could do it. Uh, Drew Estate could probably do something with a Liga. 
of yeah. some kind. Um, I think uh, Davidoff could obviously pull something off. Um, they do a lot of high-end things. Yep. That would be, you know, they have a inter- very huge international draw as well. Yep. Um, and they're a significant luxury brand. And a lot of these purchases of things like that are luxury too. Um, Padron could pull something off. I, I think Fuente and Padron should really do an NFT concept. That, that's what I said. They're just going to transfer it into an NFT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because that way it would, eliminate, it would eliminate the ownership of how you pay each other. So they just split the whatever they raised. Yep. So they did 100 NFTs. They just split that cost. And then you buy the Padrones from Padron. You buy the Fuentes from Fuente. Um you know, in a certain amount of month or whatever it is, or whatever the time frame was, Padron could pull it off. Um, obviously, Fuente could do it on do one on their own with an Opus. And, yep. and honestly, in the in the smaller realm of brands that you know are around the same size of us from production, uh, Saka says he what he isn't, but he, he could he could do something unique right now. And I think he's he's got a few items that he could put up on a pedestal like that. I mean, he already has his his Mwesterday Sakas with like the unicorns and things like that. But you have to have a cigar that's you know, so you got Opus, Liga, Padron Millennium, um, a Davidoff, uh, Oro Blanco, or something similar to that yeah. concept. You got to have something that you can put up like that a Halloween edition, uh, an Anarchy, a single store release like that. Um, so I, I, I would at this point say we don't have another product that has all of those criteria for us to do that the way we did it, right? But could we utilize it for something else in the future? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I won't recommend this right now just because I, like, I want to get LG out there, right. but the, the LG account could be authenticated through an NFT where, Hey, you're, you're grant, you're, you, you're an LG account and we're going to give you an NFT with it. So you buy these cigars and part of you being, I mean, I, I hope there's marketing people listening here right now. You can send paychecks. I'll put my address on later. You can send consulting fees to me, but I'm going to give you, you buy the LGs, you buy into this project, you get four facings and you get four boxes each and you buy two boxes of small batch. What that makes you an LG account. And we're going to give you an LG NFT that certifies you as an NFT holder. So as long as you own that, you can have it. And at that point, if you want to say there's 200 of them, you can sell that to someone else that wants to be an LG holder. So if somebody wants to be an account, they got to buy an LG NFT and they got to buy it from the retailer. It doesn't have to be some crazy price, but that's how liquor license works in a lot of states. Um, and things like that. So I could see it maybe for a project and something like that, but a little bit more broad stream is to do it the way we did it with such a limited product. You have to meet those criteria I mentioned, and I, I just don't think we have another product like that. Understood. So John, let me, I need to do a couple of sponsor reads and we'll kind of continue along some of the lines here. Is that okay? If you need to stretch, that's fine. I'm going to, I'm going to go take a little stretch out here uh, on the side and I'll be back after I'm done stretching. Sounds good. All right. So I want to mention tailored smoke. Located in the heart of downtown Charlotte's epicenter and outside the Charlotte Motor Speedway in Concord, North Carolina, Tailored Smoke is your one-stop shop for a tailored smoking experience. And by Jerry Tobacco, the authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of Suds of Cuba, it was a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it's one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamasran Valley in Honduras, Julio Aro took on the challenge of growing Carajo for seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Carajo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco bins, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the Jerry Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Carajo. Now with Jerry Tobacco, who and his bring their very own brand to market, each containing the authentic Carajo leaf. The Aladino line is available in a variety of different blends, including the latest, the Aladino Classic. 
Uh, all of them represent the Golden Age of Cigars from 1947 to 1961. Now available at your local retailer. Be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And by Corona Cigar Company. At Corona Cigar Company, they take back that they're cigar fanatics just like you. That's why you'll find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. Plus, they have special limited edition cigars available exclusively to Corona Cigar Company from a variety of cigar makers, including Drew Estate, Arturo Fuente, Gurkha, and Oliva. They have the best selection, the best customer service, and money-saving discount prices, but don't just take their word for it. Forbes Magazine selected Corona Cigar Company best of the web. Corona Cigar was voted a top five internet cigar retailer by Smoke Magazine. Cigar Aficionado wrote, Corona Cigar Company, the largest, best stock cigar shops in America. You can place it on our online at www.coronacigar.com or visit one of Corona's four central Florida cigar superstores and cigar bars and see for yourself why Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. Okay, John, we're, we're back here. Um, another thing I just wanted to hit on was uh, another release, uh, Soli. Am I saying it right? I always say it wrong. It's solely right. So it's you. You can say solely. You can say solace, solus. Um, any of those. Any of those pronunciations yep. work. Um, I'm going to start calling it uh, solace. Is what I'm going to start calling it. Okay. Uh, because I, I heard Lito Junior called it uh, uh, call it solace a couple times. So I'm okay. going to call it that. And then uh, Lito and Tony both call it solely. Right. But uh, I'm going to start calling it solace because yep. I like that a little bit easier pronunciation. Yep. Um, okay, that's fair, Solace. Uh, when will we start seeing that cigar? So um, we we said late fall on that, so we just got right. in the fall. So but I yep. anticipate uh, I anticipate late October, early November. So right. I, my anticipation is before uh, Thanksgiving. It, it's been in production for several months now. Uh, I believe the last thing we're waiting on, which is the which is common in the cigar industry, <laughs> theme is the box, right? Um, so I anticipate you'll start seeing those uh, before Thanksgiving. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. It, it's funny because that, that's really an exciting release. And it's exciting for a number of reasons. We haven't released anything new for, for three years, um, for the most part uh, at all, other than, uh, you know, we've done a few. We did some exclusives with the Gourmet Smoke Sessions. Yep. Um, but, you know, those were single event releases tiny just things to have something real special at yep. those events and grow that so we, we really haven't released any new product uh in in three years so this is exciting because it's one it's our first release in three years and then it's also a project that said Lito jr has been working yep. on for many years with his dad and his brother um so it's you know it's his entrance really into uh into the lfd you know obviously he's been part of the lfd family because he is uh, you know, he's the youngest son, but uh, it's just really his introduction into the business side of the family uh, in, in the in the public eye of it. So it, it's it's exciting. But, it, you know, there's been so much going on since July um, with production increases with the NFT. This didn't really take a back seat for us. Um, and there was a ton of excitement at it at the trade show. Um so it's, it's been on a lot of people's minds, but there's been just other exciting things going on at the same time. Uh, so there's been a lot packed in, in a short period. So it's, it's going to be fun to have that out. And um, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a big success. It's really different than any of our other products. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, definitely. And, yeah. And importantly, it's, it's a, it is an actual contrast uh, to Lenox, which is it's similar theme, similar concept in the branding and marketing of it. Um, obviously from a different sun, but it does have a significant contrast 
uh, to that product. So it, it is different than any of our other products. I I smoked that cigar and it was it was probably the best limited edition I had from the trade show. Um, and uh, it was well, it's not limit it's a limited cigar let's say right limited cigar from the trade show right because it's not going to so be a we, one and done. We 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 classify our products as regular production, standard production, limited edition, and limited production. So regular production is it's in production all the time. Right. Standard production would be a a new line of cigars that are released, but we just haven't ramped that up yet. Right. So you come up with something new, and then that would be a standard type production uh, or a product that that is available throughout right. the year, but only has one production. So, like for example, our double Claro, we don't make double Claro all year. It, we make, you know, like a thousand boxes of each, and then mm-hmm. we sell them throughout the year. Right. Uh, so that would be standard production items, and then limited edition is one and done or set amount. So if we're making a thousand limitados, we make a thousand limitados, and that's it. Right. And then limited production is something that we make as much as we can, as much as we are able to make at any given period of time ongoing, but is limited because of the supply of the products uh, and the materials going into it. So uh, solely or solace would, would fall into that level where we're okay. going to make as much as we can based off of the materials we have. And those materials include tobacco boxes, bands, etc. Obviously, boxes the raw materials boxes and, and tobacco being the biggest inhibitor yeah i was it was a big surprise that cigar because to be honest i tend to go for darker smokes so i'm like you know i, I know it's compared to lenox um but i tell you it was a home run i was really impressed with that cigar um so i was i was like this is something i'm looking forward to for sure when it comes out it was really there was a lot of wins with it uh the packaging looks great uh, the, yep. the graphic work on it looks awesome. Tony developed all the graphics. Um, and I, I even, I might uh, go on mute here just a second to train about the go by, but uh, I even mentioned to Tony, I said, you know, when we did Lenox nine, eight, nine years ago, 10 years ago, I guess, um, I said, you know, we didn't do all of that in house. Tony wasn't an expert with Photoshop and Illustrator like he is now. Um, so I said to him, I said, you know, something we might want to do because we print those boxes in house. I said, you might want to create the same type of scheme only with Lenox yeah. logos as the Solis because it looks awesome and side by side would be incredible contrast on the shelf. It yeah. will be anyway. Uh, so that may be something that we do um, and advance that a little, but uh, it's it's a huge upgrade of of all of the growth we've had in terms of knowledge of developing graphics, artwork, um, just band designs. It's a, it's a really clean product. Nice. So I missed it. What did he say that the anticipated release date was for it? Late fall. Late fall. Yeah. So possibly before the end of the year, we'll see it. I mean, that would be winter. This one's a freight train, guys. So it's not too loud, is it? No, you're fine. No, we can't. Right, so it's an empty freight train. I don't even, I barely hear it. Yeah, it's an empty one. Yeah. If it was full, you'd be hearing it. But, um, but yeah, so it, it's a really clean product all around, uh, top to bottom. The cigar itself, the, the actual branding and marketing of it is, uh, in my opinion, it's one of the most complete products that we've put out from top to bottom. And it's because of the advancements that we've made with knowledge of technology, knowledge of graphic work. Obviously, the cigar side of it, 
we've got a great platform that we stand on with the tobacco. But in my opinion, it's the most complete product that we put out and will be a great representation of other projects that we'll do going forward. And when you see LG come out next year, you'll see a lot of that influence uh, in that as well. Very nice. All right, I got one question on the gourmet smoke sessions. Um, and I know we've talked a lot about those, and, but there's one gourmet smoke session cigar I don't think you guys have come out with, and that's the one for Corona. When yeah. will we see that one? <laughs> so it's funny. So the, what, what I find funny about it is when I created the program initially two years ago, the concept was that first year of cigars, would be cigars that people would collect throughout the year and have a complete set. And I, the more I travel around now, the more I run into people that have been collecting the sets and they're like, there's supposed to be 16 of these and there's only 15. And I go, well, that's, that's interesting. I go, there, there is going to be a 16th. And they're like, well, did I miss it? And I said, no, I go, the, the 16th, which is the final episode of season one was scheduled to be with Corona cigars. And it's still scheduled to be with Corona cigars, but the project that we're working on is a Florida sun grown cigar. It has special designs and tobacco artwork on it. Uh, so early in the year, late last year, we shipped tobacco down the Dominican Republic and there were some challenges getting agricultural goods shipped into the Dominican Republic. Um, and it ran into Christmas time and they were closed. So we didn't end up getting the tobacco until about February. Um, so the tobacco got there in February. We started working the cigars. And then at the same time, we were increasing labor at the factory. There were shortages in labor everywhere at the beginning of the year. Um, so we really didn't get a handle on that until probably June. And then we had other other projects that were going into place, getting caught up on different products. Um, so Jeff and I had sat down and I said, well, let's set a time frame for this, but I don't want to say anything about it and rush it for the sake of rushing. And I want to do the event correctly. I want to make sure we do the cigar correctly uh, because that for me is the end of a really fun first year project that I did with the gourmet smoke sessions. Now we're right in the middle. We're almost done with season two, but, uh, it didn't get rushed, but there is one more coming. It's a really cool cigar. Um, I, I anticipate seeing that cigar within the next three months. Most likely, it's going to get pushed into a January or February uh, time frame in terms of the launch at the store and the launch with Corona uh, and then the uh, season one ending episode. And I don't do the live stream of the episodes anymore on site because I'm cooking there's a yeah. lot going on and there's a lot of logistical challenges of streaming live from somebody's place. But uh, the 16th episode will have a live stream. We will end season one with that. Um, and that's coming along. So I, I, you will most likely, you may see some rumblings about the cigar in the next month or two, uh, but the availability and actually having it out there and, and launching it with one of our gourmet smoke sessions will be uh, most likely first quarter next year. Nice. Uh, and then will we see a will we see a football cigar for Arizona? Hell yeah, you'll see a football cigar for Arizona. <laughs> okay, 
Um, yeah, we're, we're working on that right now. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to start working with our Arizona retailers here in the next 45 days uh, to set up what the quantity is going to be. Uh, those will release in early January, early to mid-January uh, for the Super Bowl in February. <laughs> um, the last the last two years, well, last year, I wasn't out in California because there was some challenges with uh, where we could smoke. There were, you know, they were one of the last states to kind of lift some COVID restrictions. Yep. Other challenges. So we didn't do any events with that. Um, the year before we were in Tampa, it was heavily, uh, Florida was open. So we did some big events yep. uh, with Corona and Grand Cathedral. Uh, that was huge. Uh, but we will be back out in Arizona this year. We have plans to be out there for that. Um, we will be doing some events with our retail partners out there. And there's a event venue that I ran into during the trade show that I'm going to be reaching out to and hopefully doing something big with them as well. Uh, but yeah, we will see a special football edition this year that will be back. And, uh, and that will be uh, late January, early February, just in time for the Super Bowl. Very nice. You've done Arizona well, before, haven't you? We have, this will be our, this will be our second time in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man. I was thinking that was one of yep. the first ones. Yeah. Yeah. And then the year after that, it's in Vegas, which will be, which will be wild. But I'll be honest, you know, if, if the NFL keeps putting up like nine to six games, I don't, maybe, <laughs> maybe we should start doing like the FIFA World Cup edition or something because those are a little higher scoring. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Did that, did that game end? Probably. It went to OT. It went to OT so that you could You're continue the, uh, the embarrassment. Oh, well, so it was it tied at nine to nine? I guess. I don't no, know. No, Indy won 12 to nine. Wow. So, so, that, so Eric, I told you about this coach, man. I told him about this coach. <laughs> they go and, and the, the stats were just pathetic as well. This like Russell Wilson. They, they yeah. put up a figure that Al Michaels, they, they were trolling him online on the show, on the broadcast. It was great. <clears throat> of all the offensive statistics that Denver's tied for like last in or is last. I mean, it's hysterical. And the reason they brought in uh, his name's Nick, Nick uh, Daniel Hackett, Daniel Hackett. Yeah. The reason they brought in Hackett was because of his offensive prowess and they bring in Russell Wilson because of his offensive prowess. I mean, the guy has four touchdowns now through five weeks. It's, it's, it's just, I'm not saying he's the problem. It's just, it's not good. They're not good. They're bad. There's dropped balls all over the place. I mean, it was the, the first half was awful. I can't imagine what the second half was like. Yeah, it, well, the, the quarterbacks finished. Matt Ryan, uh, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, 60.1 rating. And Russell Wilson, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, 54.9 rating. So, <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. Uh, so it was bad. All right, Aaron. Any other LFT LFD stuff we want to hit before we say some of these other things with John? No, I think you you got it. All right, so John, this is our cattle baron steak question of the night. Ooh, the steak. We know you know steak, right? I asked this question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask it a little differently for you. So one of the questions I ask guests is, what side dish do you like with a steak? Right? We get we get um cream spinach, mushrooms. I want a unique John Carney side dish for a steak. Something that we, we maybe is off the wall and, you know, you've had some experience with or something that maybe you could think of that's kind of just, just different than the cream spinach answer. So my personal favorite is, is, is Brussels sprouts. I like to fry them up, really charred them. If I'm grilling them, I like to char the sauce and fry them. I like them really, really crispy. 
if I air fry them, I, I just let them burn. So I personally enjoy um, uh, Brussels sprouts for that. And whenever you burn something or you're, I use the word burn, just be, you're not burning it, but you're cooking it very well done. If you get a little char on it, if you use like a sodium based sauce, like soy sauce on it, or you use like a vinegar or citric, citrus type acid, like lemon, even orange works or lime, it, that char absorbs it. And when you put a little salt on there, you get that umami texture on your yeah. palate. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I do with it once I char them up and just a little olive oil and truffle salt. However, a more creative one that I've done in the last year that I like, I did a, I did a potato based ratatouille. Mm. That was awesome. Uh, right. And I made that, <clears throat> I made that for my wife. So that's one of the unique sides of so my wife's vegetarian and the fact she's vegetarian, I kind of get more creative with some of the side dishes than I normally yeah. did because I want to dress it up for her. So I did this potato based ratatouille for that was just awesome. And it was a great side dish. You can stay. Nice. You know, when we went, to, when Bear and I went down to Davidoff in the Dominican Republic, we were at the TGI Fridays uh, where, where you could smoke. And there were a few of us, and we all order food. And we're ordering like greasy burgers and onion rings. And Bear goes and orders Brussels sprouts. <laughs> right. And, he, and he's like, you know, he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm watching what I eat, right? Like, okay. So we get down, we get down to the Dominican Republic, we go to Saga. Bear was the first one to go right after those, those uh, tomahawk chops. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> that, that went right out the window. <laughs> well, I'll tell you too, people order the Brussels sprouts at a lot of restaurants. And, and they're like, oh, well, how do they get these things so crispy? Because when I'm home, I can't get them as crispy. Well, most of the restaurants you go to deep fry them. Yeah. And deep frying is the best way to... I'm telling you, those Brussels sprouts are really crispy. I've got an additional like five, six hundred calories added to them. They're not the uh, the healthiest alternative, but they are delicious. Did your mic? Did something happen with your mic? We're losing you a bit. There's a uh, fully loaded freight train. Okay, okay, <laughs> then that's fine. Okay. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to get into our Alec Bradley Live True segment, uh, and that's sponsored by Alec Bradley. Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley. Visit alecbradley.com to find out more about their cigars. Live true. So these are some non, we already hit a few non-cigar related topics tonight, but I got some more for you that we're going to hit. All right. Um, so here's my first question for you. You've lived in Miami. You lived in Orlando. Which one? Which city? I know you lived in Orlando before, but you've lived in both cities. Well, with the, with the train going by right now, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in Miami. No, it's funny. There's always been certain noise. So I live downtown Miami. You know, it's in a relatively quieter part of downtown. It's on, it's on 19th and 15. So if anybody's familiar with that area, it's right off of the Eastern Causeway, which goes over to uh, the chain of islands. And there's a bunch of high rises, so all the sound echoes off the buildings. So somebody started a car, revved an engine. Which is a real popular thing in Miami. There was always noise there. So you would, you know, if I was on the show down there, you might hear like a Lamborghini going through the street. Here you get freight trains. But wow, that's a really tough question. So I, I've lived in Orlando. Other than, other than when I lived in Maine, where I'm from, and when I lived back up north when I started with LFE, I still spend summers up there. Other than there, I've lived in Orlando the most of my adult life. I, I moved down here in 2003, and I lived here until 2011. 
And then I was gone from here from 2011 to about 2015. And I was in Miami for five and a half, six years. So there's a lot of benefits from one to the other. Um, I, I really enjoyed Miami for the aspect of when I was down there, I was single. And it's a city that doesn't go to sleep. So everything's open. Uh, yes. Grocery stores are open late. Uh, restaurants are open late. Uh, all the res- all the bars, cigar bars, open late. Now, I didn't go out clubbing and partying a lot. I did, you know, I did off and on, maybe like once or twice a year, I'd go on to like Miami Beach or whatever. And there was a time where I, I went a little bit more because uh, there was a cigar, new cigar bar that opened up over there. And it was a quick one minute, like one and a half minute drive from my house to get to South Point, Miami Beach. Um, but I enjoyed the fact that things didn't close. And then I also lived in a high rise condo. So it was two towers that were 52 stories each. And it had the gym was in the building. The dentist was in the building. Everything was in the building. The trash chute was right next to my door. So, the, so I enjoyed those aspects of it a lot. I, I will say the thing I enjoy now about my time back here in Orlando is that I have a house and I have a quite big back, quite, quite large backyard. I built a brand new deck and it's a fun little oasis I have uh, in the backyard here. Uh, so I enjoy that side of it quite a bit, but it, it's hard for me to pick Miami because I've lived here in Orlando so much. So I know, you know, people like, oh, it's tough living in Orlando, tourists. Orlando's got a lot of culture in it. There's some really unique parts of town. There's some great, uh, great like speakeasy bars. And I, I live, I live in Winter Park, uh, which is just north of downtown. Um, and it's, they got this area called Park Avenue that's got tons of nice little restaurants, wine bars, little boutique shops. Um, so I, I like the pace of Orlando a little bit more, um, but the the ease of living in Miami was hard to compete with. So, but it was a different part of my life. Um, so I, I have to go with Orlando just because I've lived here for so long. Um, out of the years now, I've been here again. So I've spent 11 years here now. Um, so it's when you've been somewhere for that period of time, it, it's naturally just comfortable and feels like home. But if I was just picking out of ease and uh, the luxury side of it, um, you know, not saying luxury goods, the luxury of having the gym in my building, the luxury of having a sauna and a steam room in my building, uh, you know, staring at the water out my window uh you know that the luxury side of it was was very enjoyable and and really unmatched anywhere else but in terms of living uh to to have a place i'm living raising a family and um where i'm at you know i'd much rather have a house up here than i would down in south florida okay so now we're going to switch it a little the question maine or florida Mm. it's an easy one Maine in the summer, Florida in the winter. There's really no other way around. There isn't. The right there answer. Isn't. I, yeah, like uh, November, December, January, February, March, April, October, November. So October, November, December, January, February, March, and April, Florida. The rest of the months, I, I certainly uh, prefer Maine. And I'll tell you, man, this this was the second hottest summer on record in central Florida, it was disgusting. It, it was been gross down here. Um, when the, the hurricane that just went through, which is crazy, the damage down in uh, the western part of the state, southwest part. Uh, fortunately, we didn't have much of anything up here, flooding and whatnot. But we weren't things weren't destroyed entirely, uh, which is great. And in our house, we got very fortunate. We just had to rake and sweep. Um, it's unbearable, man. I mean, we were on, it was only three weeks ago, I think that we were on 
the Friday night smoke live. Right. And remember I was drenched. I had a towel around yeah, my neck. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was 90 degrees outside and like 120% humidity. Uh, tonight it's 68 degrees. It's not humid. It's dry. It's beautiful out. So it really broke in the last three weeks and this time of the year, I mean, sitting out here tonight is, is awesome. Cause I, I was, I was going to be up in Maine this week, but I changed the trip just cause I got a lot of traveling going on the rest of the month. Um, so I changed the trip cause I didn't have, I really didn't have much going on up there. It was more just a, just a standard visit to go visit some shops, which is important, but it's always having some time to myself being gone the next three weeks. But um, I was going to be outside and I was thinking about this. I'm like, I'm going to be sitting outside in the middle of October. I go, and it's going to be like freaking 45 degrees out. I'm going to be bundled up and it's <laughs> going to be cold. And, and so to have the contrast of where I'm at right now, I mean, I could sit out here, I could sit out here all night and just relax and enjoy it. And it's beautiful, but yeah, it, it really is no other way to answer it. Half and half, man. Winter, winter down here, summer up there. All right. Good answer. All right. These are all sports related questions coming up here. So the first one is, this is team Brady, you know, Tom and his wife are heading for splitsville. Are you on team Brady? Mm. That's tough. That's a tough one. I, I, uh, I am not on team Brady with this one. I am okay. not on Team Brady. Um, I I didn't think he should have retired last year. I think he felt pressure to retire yep. for a number of reasons, professionally and personally. Yep. Obviously, the personal pressure. Um, you know, I feel I don't know, but I feel like that personal pressure had been building up for a while, and I think probably they would be in this situation whether he left or didn't, whether he retired or not retired. And I, I think probably part of his decision to unretire was because he saw it coming and he wanted to probably have something else going on to occupy his mind and time with it and maybe have a distraction because this has been rumored for years. Um, and when there's, when there's smoke, there's fire. Right. But um, if, if he's getting a divorce, <laughs> if he's getting a divorce because his wife's like, you should retire. Um, I want you to have more time with the family. It's time for me to do my thing. And he said, no, after all he's done, it's not like he had to retire and not be involved in football. He signed that deal with Fox. That was, That's what I, was, than yeah, was I gotta think of something more with this. So, yeah. Yeah. So like if, if she came, if she came to him and said that after all he's accomplished, um, there's something there where he doesn't respect that side of it, or uh, he thinks he's got something else to prove. And as a, as being team Brady, I don't think he has anything else to prove. Um, so that's out the window for me, but you know, I'm not him personally, but no, I'm, I'm on, I'm on team Giselle with this one oh. uh, just because it's like, dude, like, I mean, this is, this is divorce is not a pleasant thing. I've not been part of it, uh, fortunately, but I mean, this cannot be, this cannot be the best thing for his mental state um, or his, you know, his finance side will take care of itself. But even in the moment, like this can't be like, Oh, Hey, we're, we're worth like a billion dollars together. Let's split this thing up because it's, this is just the easiest thing to do. Um, you know, it's, it's brutal, but I, I don't, I don't live in that realm, but it seems like she's been rather fair. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. All right. But as a football fan, I'm glad I'm watching him play. I just wish <laughs> he's not ruining his life to do it. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I actually, I had a conversation once with James Brown, the, the, the NFL commentator. And I actually talked to him in Penn Station for like an hour and a half. And uh, he mentioned like like when they do the like these announces, I remember him saying to me, when you go into announcing and you talk about Brady doing this, um, 
there's a lot of commitment with that. Like you have you like you fly out like midweek and you spend the week out there a lot of times, um, you know, before the game. So he's it, it, there's a lot of there's a lot like he was gonna be on the road with that if he went right into the announcing booth. I'm sure it, there is. But you you look at so my my uh my, he's, he's he's like my brother my my one of my best friends Matt Mulligan played in the league for nine years. And he was a tight end, the second, you know, second string tight end, played, you know, majority of the snaps in games. He was a blocker, so he played on running teams. And man, the commitment that it took from him, and it was wild. And his wife wasn't a celebrity. You know, she was raising the family and she started, you know, she has her own things that she does now. She's a, she's an author and uh, publisher. They got a, a really unique book series of children's books. And but she didn't get to start those until the kids were old enough because she was, you know, as they were growing up, Matt was, Matt's a great dad. He was around a lot, but Matt wasn't famous. Matt's wife isn't famous and they didn't have other obligations. And they also didn't have other, they didn't have other relationships, other kids, other situations and other things going on. So I can't imagine being a, being the quarterback, the time commitment that that takes at practice and out of practice. True, that's true. Yeah, and then on top of it, being a major celebrity, being arguably the biggest name to ever play the game, and then your wife being the same situation in a different industry, I can't imagine the uh, the time commitment on both of those that goes into effect, and uh, and then the, the individual decisions that you have to feel like you have to make. Uh, so it, it's a cold, crazy situation to me, and uh, you know we're going to watch it play out publicly and uh he said I, as a football player i love watching tom brady i'd love him to play forever but you know I, I if it comes down to relationship side it's like that type of time commitment especially when you have because if he's not playing he doesn't have to he doesn't have to spend as much time yes the traveling things a commitment the research commitment but they're, they're, but it, it's completely different than the preparation of the player um you know and a lot of his career preparation puts him into a spot to be able to to do those things really well and easily. Um, so it, it just seems like uh, it seems like there was obviously something else going on. This has obviously been brewing for a while if he's making that decision, but it, it doesn't seem like uh, it doesn't seem like the best case scenario for anybody. Under, yep, I I agree. Nothing if that's good. the best case scenario, what would? what was the worst case scenario? You know what I mean? Like if that's, if that was the best alternative, if this is the best alternative, what, what was, what was the other alternative? I, I just, I can't even imagine. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. How worried are you about the new England Patriots this year? Uh, I'm not worried about them at all because it's kind of irrelevant. Um, the, they're, they're good. They're not bad. They're not a bad team. Uh, they, they, they make some mental errors that have caused them not to win games. You know, they played, they've been in every game they've been in. They're not, I don't think they're going to get blown out by anybody. Um, their defense is their defense. In my opinion is really good. Um, but if you turn the ball, if you turn the ball over in bad situations, even if you're a great defense, I mean, you got to be a great defense to, to make up for that. So there's no way they're winning the division. The, I think they'll end up splitting with the Dolphins. I think they'll end up being the Dolphins at the end of the year. The Jets are a dumpster fire, um, <laughs> as always. Even though they won last week, that doesn't count. Um, but the Bills are just the Bills are just a really, really good team. I don't see them beating them twice. 
unless they get into a situation like they did last year where there was 100-mile-an-hour wins and they just run the ball. Um, and, and, and not having a solution at quarterback. I think that Zappy guy's good. I think he's, I, I think he's a better passer in terms of just throwing the ball than Mac Jones. I don't know if, how his decision-making we'll get to see, but um, I, I, I mean, they're, they're not going to make, I'd be surprised if they make the playoffs. Interesting. I'm not, I'm not surprised either. I think it's a, although the AFC is very tight in four games, it's very tight. So you never know. The, the whole, the whole league's very tight to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, you've got the Eagles undefeated, right? Which they're bragging about. We're only four games in. Right. But I mean, they're the only one left. But other than that, I mean, there's been a lot of games that have been played close. I, I, I still say right now, the I put the Eagles at number two right now, just the way they've been playing. And then the Chiefs are the best team in football. And I put the Bills at number three. Uh, the, the, that game last, the game last week, the Chiefs game, I mean, against the Bucks, the Buccaneers were going to have to put up a hundred points to win that game. Yeah, and and they and they didn't have the ability to do it, and and they're going to come around. Don't get me wrong, that team if they stay uninjured, they're going to figure it out. The line's going to figure out. They got obviously Brady at quarterback. That wide receiving core is excellent. I mean, it's the best receiving core in the league when they're healthy. Um, but uh, but man, what what the Chiefs did to them. I mean, they were scoring at will, and they just backed off. They would have scored 70, and it would have been 70 to 50 if they had to. But they still would have. They were going to keep that 20-point gap no matter what happened. No, no doubt. I, I don't disagree with you on that. All right. Uh, best wrestler you've seen in your lifetime? Ooh. Well, this is gonna, the, the wrestling fans are going to get the, – the hardcore wrestling fans are going to get angry at this because it's modern wrestling for me. That I, that I like, um, you know, I really appreciate the old school stuff, but the modern wrestling is, is what I enjoy. The, I think the best all around wrestler in terms of inter, in terms of entertainment and playing their character and the one I probably enjoy the most outside of the big stars, because I love The Rock. There's nothing more entertaining than him. There's nothing more entertaining than like Stone Cold Steve Austin, but I'm going to pick the next tier down um, Chris Jericho, I think, is the most underrated professional he's wrestler right. in yeah. probably the history of all time. Uh, he's still at the top of his game. He's better now than he's ever been. And uh, he's really, I mean, he's got over a two decade career going. Um, so, entertainment wise, you know, celebrity side wise of it, um, The Rock was unmatched on the microphone. I mean, he was amazing. He was just a great entertainer, had a great writing crew. But I, I think someone who's built it from the bottom and really become something special that I, that I enjoy. Uh, Chris Jericho is incredible to me. Yeah. I followed him when he was at WCW years ago. Um, mm-hmm. That's when I watched it more. Very right, good. Coop, you have to do yours. Cause I, we, we, I think what we're going to have is we're going to have three generations of favorites here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I right. know how you're, you're going to go very old school. You're going to go black and white. Not quite. <laughs> uh, it's flair. It's Ric Flair. Oh, really? Okay. It's Ric Flair. Rick, now, now Ric Flair lost a lot of matches. That's what people don't realize. He lost a lot of matches. But he made Hulk Hogan. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, but Flair also did that for the for the industry too. He he was kind of a give back. He just the character, the technical skills. Um, and there were I mean, those matches in the eighties with Ricky Steamboat were unmatched. They were the best matches I ever saw. The, the athleticism, the acrobaticism. Um, so I'm still going. And, and Flair just was the character. 
he he's a god down here in Charlotte. I and mean, I'll just tell you that he is right. probably the biggest athlete star who lives who lives in the city still. Did you have one, Aaron? Yeah, and my my favorite is the best wrestler of all time. I can could never be undisputed, and that is Andre the Giant. Um, there is no other wrestler that could ever touch that guy in in real life. Let's, let's it said what it. they did to him at the end of his career, though. It, 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 at the end of his career, it wasn't great. I mean, the Hogan match was a big deal, but after right. that, it was pretty sad to see him out there. He should have probably retired a couple years earlier. Yeah, but I mean, he, this guy is a complete like. Yeah, it was different, different beast. He's just completely massive yeah. guy. Like you couldn't do anything with this yeah. guy. You, you know, I talked there's, about. Go ahead. I'm sorry. There's a lot of unique. There's a lot of unique stuff because you you got these these crazy generations of of wrestling, and then if you really talk about what's the best generation of it, so there's old school, right? But if, if you look at generations time, like there's nothing better than the Attitude Era in WWE competing against WCW. That's it on the business side of it too. And the characters that were involved there, if you think of the names that were involved at that period of time, I mean, you had The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Vince McMahon's in the middle of all this stuff with his family at the same time. They were all in it. You had you had crazy other you had crazy secondary care uh, secondary characters and tertiary characters um, <laughs> that, that jumped through and came in different times. Chris Jericho was part of all that stuff. Uh, I mean, it's crazy if you look at that era of wrestling, what was going on in WCW, Goldberg, Hulk Hogan's transcended both of those generations as yeah. well. I mean, you you had Razor Ramon, which really, you know, that was the generation right before that really started, you know, was moving in, but he was involved in it. Uh, Scott Hall, all these crazy, the Steiner brothers, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Owen Hart, Bret Hart. I mean, those people were all there at the same time which is really unmatched. Whereas when you look back, you can look at different Bruno San Martino, things like that. Uh, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, different things, Andre the Giant. That's all great stuff. But if you look at just one generation that really changed wrestling and really changed celebrities in wrestling was really that Attitude Era. Um, and to have all those people on the same show every night. I mean, if you imagine now, if you said, if they're like Monday night, if, if Thursday SmackDown was on Thursday night and all those people were going to be on there, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about football. We'd be saying, Hey, did you just see what the rock and stone cold Steve Austin did to each other? And you'd be like, yeah, yeah. Did you, did you see that? Did you see Val Venus come out and strip in the hoe train? Like, it, I mean, the thing was ridiculous. It was a freaking circus yeah. of yeah. a show. The, the generation before that though, I mean, I, I would say the generation you're talking about and the generation kind of like that I grew up on were, were very similar in regards to the star power because mm -hmm. it was it was nuts because in when I was growing up, it you had WWF versus AWA, yep. kind of how it kind of worked out. So you had um, Hogan under the giant. Uh, you had um, Ultimate Warrior. You had like you had the tertiary guys like uh, Junkyard Dog, Coco Beware, uh, Jake the Snake. Yeah, all these guys. And then mm -hmm. you have AWA, you have like the Four Horsemen, you have Dusty Rhodes, you have all these guys yep. over on that side, uh, Road Warriors, like it, it was, you know, crazy stuff like that. Like it back then, it was like as a kid, you know, if you're like an eight year old kid, man, like you're going nuts. It's just like, yeah. And it really was. And the thing is, my dad was completely into it. And it was just yeah. like yeah. hanging out with your dad watching wrestling was like, they, that was one the, of the same best thing yeah. that could be possible. Yeah, it was the same thing. Uh, you know, Bruno San Martino being Italian and growing up in Italian households was a big deal. 
yeah. it was a big deal. I mean, he was a great wrestler, but um, you know, it was a very it was different style and just different attitude back then. Yeah, you know, I kind of I kind of attest that to like <clears throat> you you take they didn't miss a lot. They didn't really miss a huge beat other than the business changed. Right. For the most part, WWF really went from that to the attitude era and their transition time in between it was, was I, I think if you're paying attention, if you're part of it, you transitioned into it. Yeah. But for me, it was like, boom, this just started out. And some of those people we were talking about were like the eighth or ninth match of the night when you, yeah. before you got into like the main storylines right. right. at the end they were in there doing those things on WCW or WWF. And I kind of attested to like, if you were a Colts fan over the last 20 years before Matt Ryan got there and, and uh, Andrew Luck retired, I mean, you figure as a Colts fan, the Colts, since the realignment of the league, the Colts were the most winning team in football over that period of time, over that 20 year period. And so you had like Peyton Manning and then you went to like Andrew Luck, same thing with like, uh, with the when was the last time the Green Bay Packers were bad? WWF had the same type of thing where they just weren't bad for like 25 years and they won the competitions and things they got competition, then they had the DX of transition. No, then they got bad, they've been bad the last several years. That's why there's some big competitors, but you'll see that in any type of sport. But to have multiple generations back to back, like mm-hmm. again, when was the la- I don't remember the last time the Packers were bad. I don't remember the last – I remember now the Colts were bad, but, it, you know, you take like, those generation When you can generationally connect over an extended period of time is, is a big success. Yeah. Yeah, good point. All right, moving on. Uh, two more of these. Um, thoughts on the Celtics coach getting suspended for the year? Not so much what happened, but, like, what do you think – what's this going to mean for them this year? I don't think with that team they've got, it's going to matter who the hell's coaching them. Okay. Um, they're just, they just need somebody to keep them getting along in the locker room. Brad Stevens is there. Um, I don't think he was the right fit as a coach for them long-term. Right. Um, I think they needed somebody like Udoka that played in the league, connected with them culturally uh, as young men, uh, and, and realistically young black men. I think that was that's something that they needed. Um, and I think Udoka did a decent job of that. But some of the comments that it came out, like Jalen Brown spoke out about it, and was really not supportive of him of the situation. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think what went on in the off season with their, with his name getting thrown around, I think he's, I think he's going to be angry and they, I think it's not going to affect that team one bit. They're going to have a big coaching staff below them did a lot of work too. Um, the interim head coach they have is good. I just don't understand why he, I, I liked Edoka as a basketball coach. I just don't know why he didn't get fired. Like if you're going to suspend him for the whole year for that policy, then you're saying what the situation was, you're going to be a hard line on it. Like, I just don't know why he wasn't fired. Um, you know, cause it's, it seems like they have a pretty strict policy and, and they're going to, you know, maybe they went soft on him on it. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was, cons- you know, I, you know, it was allegedly it was a consensual relationship and what people choose to do in their personal time. I don't like to get involved in too much, but if there's a, uh, if your personal life has a policy at the place you work, then you got to deal with the consequences of it. But on a coaching level, it's not going to affect that team. I mean, they're, they're ridiculous. They're, they're in mid season form right now. And they've only yeah, played the, two games that is preseason. John, the funny thing is, right. If you go, if you follow Philadelphia, 
Like in the Philly market, everyone has the Sixers going to the finals. You get outside the Philly market, and this team's like 47, 48 wins. But in the Philly market, they have this team winning 60 games. It, it's, it's, um, and I, I, I don't think the, Celt- I think the Celtics are still really good. I'm not buying we're going to win 60 games. That's for sure. They, they were really good last year. They've been to the, they've been to the finals like five of the last six, the Eastern Conference finals, like five of the last six years or something the Celtics, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Jalen Brown in the time in the league, he's been in the league. He's only not been to the Eastern Conference right. finals once. And then he's been to the the actual finals. And they uh, they just weren't deep enough last year. And they weren't deep enough at center. And they weren't deep enough, in my opinion, when, um, when you lost one year, when Tatum wasn't playing the way he should have played. Whether it was an injury, he says it was an injury or whatever. But they didn't have anybody to answer if they lost Jason Tatum. Now, they had Jalen Brown. And if they would have won, he would have easily been the finals MVP. He was the best player in the Eastern Conference Finals and the and the uh, league finals, um, I mean he's a stud and he's going to yeah. be even better this year. Um, but they didn't have any answer for when they lost one of those guys and they've added it this year. They got Brogdon, who's I mean, you got Brogdon coming. Off, the guy's going to be either starting or coming off the bench. He would be he would be a starter on probably eighty five percent of the teams in the league. And he's going to be coming off the bench as like the sixth or seventh man. And the other night he put up like 23 points in like 18 minutes or something like that. And it was, it was just crazy uh, to see that. So I think they're a much more complete team this year. Um, and the rest of the league, uh, the Golden State Warriors got older. And so didn't the Celtics, but those guys are still young. <laughs> yep. So as, as the other ones got older, uh, they got they got young. They stayed the same age and yep. are right in the middle of the, getting right at the beginning of their primes. Yep. Awesome. All right. Oh, uh, World Series outlook. Oh man, Dodgers. I'm going Dodgers. I picked the Brewers by the way at the start of the season, so that didn't go too well. Didn't but work uh, out for you. it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, I'm going the Dodgers. There's nothing to convince me that they're gonna. Uh, I mean, I've heard some things. Maybe they're a little vulnerable with the starting pitching, but this team's good. They've been good from they've been good from beginning of the year to the end of the year too. They didn't really have any bad streaks, and uh, I, I mean, I don't like I don't like what happened to the Mets at the end of the year. They kind of like just cashed it in. It seems like there there's this video all right out there where it's like it shows two mascots running in a race. Right, it's the Braves mascot and the Mets mascot, and the Mets mascot goes out to this big lead in the race, and then the Braves mascot just like closes closes in and catches the one at the end uh and like knocks the Mets mascot at the finish line yeah. Yeah. well and it gets and it gets swept at the end of the season like that where you controlled your own destiny against the team like I don't know if they get swept again if they ever face them in the playoffs but you're like you're telling me something like that doesn't lose you don't you don't forget that uh you yeah. know what I mean in my opinion so if they face, say they face them again I think the Braves take them out and I don't know. I don't think either of them are going to be would be the Dodgers anyway. So I'm thinking Dodgers, and reluctantly I'm going to say Houston Dodgers. And I think the Dodgers win it finally. I think so too. All right, hey John, I want to do a few more quick hits. Is, uh, do you have a few more minutes? To kind of I got all the time in the world right now, man. It's okay. beautiful outside. Okay, I got about a quarter of my digger left. We're good. Okay, so what I'm gonna do? I got a couple quick reads, and then we'll get right into that. All right, I want to mention J.C. Newman Cigar Company. 
founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman. J.C. Newman's cigar company is the oldest family premium cigar maker in America. For four generations and 127 years, J.C. Newman has been handcrafting many of the world's finest cigars. J.C. Newman is headquartered in an iconic 112-year-old cigar factory in the Ybor City National Historic Landmark District in Tampa, Florida. At the factory known as El Rahol, J.C. Newman is premium cigars by hand and hand-operated antique cigar machines. The J.C. Newman Pensa Factory is the second largest in Nicaragua, and it's where Perla del Mar, El Baton, Brickhouse, and Quorum cigars are hand-rolled. J.C. Newman's Diamond Crown, Maximus, Julius Caesar, and Black Diamond Cigars are handmade by tobacco lawyer A. Fuente in the Dominican Republic. With its longtime partners, the Arturo Fuente family, the Newmans founded the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports low-income families in the Dominican Republic with education, healthcare, vocational training, and clean water. Visit jcnewman.com to learn more. And by Casa Cuevas Cigars, the Cuevas family has five generations experience in cigar making. For many years, they have manufactured cigars for many industry leaders out of their Las Lavas factory in the Dominican Republic. Now, the Cuevas family has brought their very own brand to market with Casa Cuevas Cigars. You can try the Casa Cuevas Connecticut, Abano, Maduro, La Mandaria, and Patrimonial lines, as well as the newly released Sangre Sangre Nueva line. Uh, Of course, don't forget the Cuevas Reserve line. If they don't carry it, be sure to ask your local retailer for Casa Cuevas Cigars. Casa Cuevas Cigars, from our casa to yours. And we're going to get into our industry deliberation segment, sponsored by Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. There is no deliberation when it comes to Dumbarton's track record since launching in 2015. This has included seven consecutive top three appearances on the half wheel consensus, including number one cigar of the year in 2020 with the Mi Carita Tricky Traca. You can visit dttcigars.com to find a purveyor that carries the brands of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. So, John, I have some industry, like, hopefully quick hit topics here. We'll see how they go, go here. Um, um, if you choose, you don't want to tackle any of these, just say it. Okay. Oh, I'm on it. I'll, I'll okay. tackle it all. Okay. I think, <laughs> okay. So the first one I have for you is we early in the show, we talked about price increases, but this year, I think there was, um, an influx of what I call higher price cigars that have hit the market. Like, you know, a lot of cigars that were crossing that 15 to $20 and beyond lines. What are your thoughts of going, what's going on with that right now? And does the market could the market support a lot of these companies releasing cigars in this higher price range? Well, I think we're about to find out. And if you'd asked me this question ten years ago, I would have said no, it can't. Because you remember when when Alec Bradley released that cigar, the Mundial? Yep. Yeah. And it came out and it was like 15, 16, 17 bucks, I think. Yep. And and I, I think it did well for him and it sold, it sold. But just because something sells doesn't mean it, it you know, it, it does well. If it did great, it still exists. Right. Um, so that came out was pretty high. And at that point in time, you were smoking like a Padron 64 torpedo around like 16, 18 bucks. Yep. So the smokers that were spending that kind of money, the everyday Padron smoker was in that price point with the anniversary series. So I'm just using as an example, this other cigars that were in that price point too. Um, but if you look where we're at now, the, the average price of purchase, even before inflationary type things, um, has ticked up. Um, you know, cigar smokers are, are willing to, um, they're willing to jump a little higher for something that's maybe a treat or a special occasion, you know, once a week or more or whatever. It doesn't take a lot of people to, to jump and have a treat or to spend a couple dollars more for it to have an impact. So it seems to be there's more willingness on the consumer basis to jump higher higher price point. And part of that I think is because you've got 
you've got a lot of new brands that came out into the business and it's nothing against new brands, but like this year we were at the trade show and there's like 2,700 new brands. And out of those 2,700 new brands, not one of them owned a farm or factory. So those are bought by other people. So there's an inherent cost increase there. So if you wanted me, if you owned a shop coupe and you wanted a 700, me to make you a 700 Maduro, but it was, you know, coupe cigar shop brand, it wouldn't be $10 like the 700 is. It would be 12 or 13 because you've right. got a branded marketer on your own. So that naturally inflates the cost. So as you add more of these boutique brands, which I don't like that term, but that's what get thrown, gets thrown around and how to identify it, that naturally pushes the price of a cigar up a little bit more. Uh, so then it's like, okay, Will Cooper's cigar brand just came out and this is $12, a 700 Maduro's 10, and this is the same cigar. Okay, well, I might jump up a little bit more because now I've crossed this threshold of 12 or either I'll smoke what I'm smoking or I'll jump up a little bit. But then LFD comes out with a $15, $16 one. It's like, all right, I'm going to jump up with LFD because I know it. Um, so I think a lot of that's with that regard. Now, also, if you look at just raw inflation, a cigar, mostly cigars today are just are either the same or less expensive as the value of the dollar is as it was 10 years ago. Um, and if you go back further, 15, 20 years, cigars are priced, you know, well, there's a lot of brands that are priced lower um, than just the growth of inflation. You know, and I'm, you know, I work for a company that has several cigars in several lines that are that type of situation. You know, if we, if we grew the price of the double the airline every year in the last 15 years of what inflation was, it would be significantly more expensive than it is now. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely. I think that uh, you're going to see more of it, but at the same time, as I said earlier, there's going to be less cigars purchased this year at full price um, because there's people overproducing still. And there's going to be a retraction in the amount of cigars that that, that market can withstand. And to, to sell those is going to have to be some discounting um, on certain levels and deals and whatnot. But um, I think it's something certainly interesting to watch. But again, people wouldn't be putting them out at higher price points if there weren't people buying them uh, for very long. And it tends to be to seem like the ones that are sticking around are the brands that have some staying power, uh, you know, Altidus is releasing a lot of the new Monte Cristos are at a much higher price point and they keep doing it and they're keeping successful. Um, so there's, they're, you know, the big companies are doing it. So they're doing it because it's making some sense. Um, it's just how many people can do that and how much can the market stand is a unique thing to follow. That's good. Actually, and you hit the second question I was asking, which was on the newer companies. So I think you tied those well together there. Okay, well, newer companies are forced to come out at a higher price point because if you're if you're making cigars for someone as a contract type brand, you, you know you need to make your money on the back end because you're not selling anything. Now you can sell it for a little bit less than you would if you're selling it retail, but um, it's certainly going to be higher. Uh, so it's uh, it naturally pushes that up. I mean, there's tons of there's tons of cigars that you know I use I'll use LFD as an example. Mm-hmm. Every new cigar that came out this year at the show. I would say, or every new brand that came out this year at the show is priced higher than our double E line. I would say at least 90% of them are priced higher. Yeah. Now, if something came out at a lower price point, it's because that was somebody that was already in the business and they're doing something a little more price conscious, but the new products that came out, nothing really came out under 10 or $11 
that was a brand new brand in my opinion. If there isn't, I'm wrong. You can let me know that. Um, but I would venture to say if it did, it was from somebody that was already existingly making products or already had other brands out there. Yeah. I think Coop's got a tour group walking through. Yeah, the museum. No, I, I had I had a I had to open the door for someone. <laughs> Sorry yeah. about that. But uh, uh, but yeah, so I yeah, yeah. so I, I think that's what you're seeing with new stuff because they're they're forced to be at a higher price point, just naturally. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Like that's a good point you made though about about you know comparing it to and I, that's what I'm seeing. You know, comparing it to like what you said with with the double Lajero, I I think that's a very good thing. I mean, uh, I'm curious to see where this is a year from now. Especially with the way the economy is going, right? Like, I just, like, I thought a lot of the stuff, for example, that, like, United Cigar did this year. Like, they, yes, they have their selected tobacco premium, but they came out with a lot of, like, well-priced cigars, um, you know, under $10 this year. Yeah, and, and again, they're, they're existingly, they're already in the market. Yeah. They're working with, they have partnerships that are in there. Yeah. So they're able to leverage the cost a little bit more. So you'll see success at those price points. And then, uh, but, you know, I think the biggest issue you're going to probably see in the next year, year and a half or two years, I always tell people, I'm like, um, if you want to see what did and didn't work, look at the cover of Cigars International's magazine or look at the emails that you get. Yeah. Um, I've been getting Cigar Aficionado partner emails for the last couple of weeks from, I think, bestcigarprices.com. Yeah. And there's like, man, it's like get 40 cigars for $2. Each. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, other than that being a good deal, for people to buy and to sift through the ones they like. If you're a retailer, you should look at those brands and I'm, I'm not trying to be mean to people in there. If I'm a retailer, I'm be like, all right, they're trying to get rid of these and they're the big guy. They're one of the big players. I need to get rid of this stuff in my humidor too, before I'm stuck with it. And they're the only ones that can freaking sell it because everybody's got freaking a hundred of them because yeah. they bought so many of those deals. So I use those. I tell people use, when I get that email, I, I I'll talk to recently. Like, hey, did you get that email? They're like, yeah, I go, you should, I go, I'm not telling you what to do. I go, but it would be smart if you'd look at that and try to eliminate some of the, I'm not saying eliminate the brand, eliminate the sizes, eliminate the shapes, ask your salesperson about it. Don't be nasty. Say, Hey, I saw this here. And why are you guys whoring this out? No, like, all right, what's the deal with this? Can you ask your boss what your, what your company's plan is with these sizes and shapes and brands? Cause I need to know what decision I'm going to make. Um, and you're going to see a lot of that. So it's even more important in the next year and a half to two years especially going into next year, keep an eye on that stuff if you're in retail. And as a consumer, you're going to get some great deals, um, but you'll have to sift through some things. But, uh, you know, it's you're already seeing it. You're already starting to see yeah. it. Oh, yeah. And, and as a retailer, I would be looking at that, asking my salespeople, not being angry at them because they got to do their business, but be like, what the hell's up with this? And what should I be doing with this product? Great point. That's a great point. All right, we'll turn to this next one. Um, like I said, we hit the first two already. Um, the higher profile celebrity collaborations, and there's two I'm talking about in particular. Um, the Guy Fieri and now recently Metallica. What What do you think? Good, I mean, good thing, bad thing? How do you see this playing out right now? Because these are some high profile collaborations that, that we probably have not seen anything at these levels uh, in the cigar industry ever. Do you want me to run with that? Do you want Aaron to run with that one first? Go ahead, John. Go ahead. Yeah, whatever, whatever you guys want. Yeah. So 
the uh, the celebrity collaborations have never seemed to work long term with anyone. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think of any that have had lasting, uh, you know, any lasting power. And the one thing I think that's unique about the 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 Hetfield cigar, blackened and Metallica, is that it's not it's not um, overtly Metallica. Um, it's Hetfield. His name's on it. It's a little different. I'm um, in that regard. Now I don't know if that creates staying power, but it is a different concept. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there may be some there may be some opportunity there with that. Um, and, and I was I'm as excited about. It. I'm a huge Metallica fan. I don't even really care if the cigars are good. Um, I'm gonna get some just because I want to have them um, in my collection. So I, I think that's a unique concept. We'll see how that works. Um, it's it's really like double branded, a uh, triple branded. You got Drew Estate, you've got Blackened uh, Whiskey, and then you've got Hetfield and Metallica involved in it. So obviously there's some serious star power. And, and when that was announced, I thought it was I thought it was awesome. I thought it was a really great announcement. I thought it was a really innovative uh, partnership and taking a few different things together. Uh, so I think there could be some success with it. Uh, we'll see. I don't know what the price points and whatnot are. And we'll see. Reasonable. They're they're in the nine to twelve range. They're, yeah. they're not expensive. Yeah. So we'll see how that yeah, reasonable. works. Yeah. Uh, you know, but th- that's to be determined. And Drew Estate's got a massive following, so there's going to be some initial successes with that period. Yeah. Uh, just because the initial side of it, like you're gonna the, the product placement of that, like it, I, it's going to be a ninety percent product placement for them. You know, like I, easily, they're ninety percent of the retailers are going to bring those in. Um, the, the one with Guy Fieri is interesting too because. Uh, he kind of seems like he's the real deal cigar smoker. <laughs> like, yeah. like he's just an actual real cigar smoker. And, you know, he's got a celebrity side of it, which has yep. never been bigger, but he, he really seems like he's into it. Um, he's randomly shown up at cigar shops and talked about the cigar. His events were done a little bit more uh, accessible to him. You know, it wasn't like just come here and uh, come here and, buy a bunch of product and, you know, Guy Fieri will talk to you for a few seconds. He seemed to really so far to hang out with it. Um, it doesn't have his name all over it, but it's obviously, it's obviously Guy Fieri pushing it. Um, you know, the branding is him, but you know, Eric's done some, Eric does some, some interesting and innovative branding concepts with the cigars. So I think in his realm of what his business is, I think that, I think it's going to have a good place and I think it will have some lasting, uh, lasting attention to it my question with that is when guy fieri moves on from it a little bit after the initial success over the first year or so you know what 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 does eric decide to do with it long term uh will be what happens with that and that tends to be the same thing with some of those other celebrity cigars will he actively want that to be part of his portfolio isn't guy fieri you know for five ten years or um when that starts to slow down a little bit uh is that something eric continues working with so I think that's it's two real different beasts because of the size of the business, um, you know. But I I think in terms of I think in terms of long term exposure and just raw numbers, just because of the size, you're going to see more blackened probably sold, and that's a bigger it's a bigger celebrity with a much different branded product. Um, it's less playful. It's very it's blackened it's it's a less yep. playful brand um so i think playful brands sometimes run their course 
Uh, so I think staying power on the short term, you're going to see more staying power with the black and, and just obviously because of the reach of Drew Estate. Um, but it seems like the it seems like the Guy Fieri thing's working uh, as of right now. We'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes in a year and a half, two years. They, they have another cigar coming out next year or late mm-hmm. this year, early next year. So they're going to have a fourth cigar. So they're keeping him engaged, I guess, with, with building the brand up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there'll be a point where you're right. It's going to be, you know, what happens if he moves on. I'll tell you this about, you know, Drew Estate. So they, you know, it's not the first time they've done like a, a music collaboration. They did the Shady uh, Records releases. Um, but those were limited. And um, this is, like I said, this is a full, full-blown um, production they're doing. And they're investing a lot more in marketing with this right now. Um, I mean, if you look at that, you can see they've been they've been advertising this to aficionado. This is a big, you know, they're 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 taking this very seriously as far as that goes. Um, and I can tell you this from from the, the music website we do with the Scar Jukebox, Metallica is one of the most. I mean, as far as bands go, anytime we we cover Metallica. We have we have big numbers with this band. I mean, so I mean, we have bigger numbers with this band than the Beatles. When we do something about yeah, them. they're they're super they're superstars. They, Hetfield, they're super, yeah, Hetfield's a legend. Yeah, um, he's he's really he's he's really genuine. You know, like I think when you see him interview, that's who James Hetfield is. Yep. And and the unique thing they got they've got so many different layers of marketing with it. You know, uh, Jay Davis was mentioning here that they're doing a big sales push with discounts, and so they're they're going to place the product. And then they've got multiple people involved as faces. So they got Drew Estate as a face right. as a whole. They've got Hetfield as a face. Who knows how deeply he'll be involved in events or anything, but it doesn't matter. And then you also have you so you have three brands involved, Drew Estate, Metallica, and Blacken. Um, so there's three different air avenues that they're working with with this, which is interesting. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's definitely uh like I said, if anyone can market this thing, it's Drew Estate. So yeah. I mean, that's the one thing I would just say is they, they got a machine as far as that goes. So um, it will be very, but I, I haven't seen collaborations at this level, probably with, with these take Guy Fieri is a big name as well. So um, besides throwing a big celebrity behind something, I think this is the biggest collaboration with, with a celebrity face. That's a real product at the same time. Like this is not a picture of Ray Lewis on a cigar. This is not a, um, you know, this is not a, you know, another, you know, the arrival, like Ken Hamlin's cigar, Ken's, yeah. Ken's just a, Ken's, uh, you know, he's somewhat famous. He's a great guy and he's doing well in the cigar business because he's a real cigar smoker. Yeah. Um, and he's part of the cigar culture and, you know, and he's, but, you know, I wouldn't put him in even remotely in the stratosphere and there's no disrespect to him because I love him to death, but he's not metallica no no <laughs> you know? there's yeah. no there's no bigger there's no bigger name in music uh that's active than metallica in my opinion i like i said like uh i you know i agree i totally agree with that all right two more and these are the these are going to be the two hottest questions <laughs> and i know i've talked to you about this next one okay because <laughs> you and i have talked about this one el septimo Planning to open 30 stores nationwide. Aggressive. Um, <laughs> it's real aggressive, man. I, I've joked around online. I'm like, if Zaya, Zaya, just give me $10 million. I'll come help you with this right. um, that cash though. Signing bonus. Um, super aggressive, super, super aggressive. Obviously they financially have the means to do it. No question behind that. Right. 
but the business then has to make money. So in a time where the biggest luxury brand in the premium cigar industry, as of right now, it's in Davidoff, is retracting their retail stores. Yep. El Septimo is going to open 30. And this is no knock on Davidoff. They didn't successfully open three. Um, oh, they, they're down to New York, Atlanta. Yeah. No, not even Atlanta. New York, Houston. So in Vegas. So, that's it's, it. so I'm not saying if they can't do it, nobody can. But ultimately, when you do something, it's got to make money at the end of the day. Now, the, the unique thing that I see in this is they're then going to openly compete with their retail partners. Okay. Which has been done before and plenty of people do it, but this is a very high end luxury type product. Um, so, you know, I, I saw this one. So there's an El Septimo event going on in the next month or whatever at Corona cigars. So Corona is a big, massive retailer. So you're telling me that, arguably the largest independently owned retailer in the, in the world is going to be comfortable competing against 30 of these other stores in their own business. I just don't see that happening. Um, and I don't see that making any sense um, on a retail level long-term right now. It's been yet to see what happens. Let's wait to see when these stores actually open up. The one that opened up in LA isn't really a retail store. It's a private club. Yeah. Um, with membership. So I'm not even, you know, that's counting as the first one, but that's not really a retail. Outlet. That was what I was going with. That is some of this like going to be like what, like what Casa de Monte Cristo does. They have some stores, but then they brand some lounges. I was wondering if that 30 is going to be that, take that into account. Yeah. But the way that it read, it sounds like they're just going to open up 30 retail stores. So we'll see if they're going to brand with some people, like if they yeah. went in and branded with Dab uh, with Corona, that would be a, you know, a different thing. And that would make sense. Um, but if they're just going to open up retail stores in the way that it read and all we have to work on now is what's been read. And I don't know if since that announcement's been done, if Zaya has been on any, any media outlets. Um, but uh, when he does, that would be a question that I would ask, you know, Hey, what's the plan with this? Um, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on retailer pushback? Um, you know, and, and I would assume probably his discussion would be El Septimo is going to build a great experience. We we're, we're going to create a luxury experience that's unmatched the demand for our products on luxury products like this have been huge. And this is just a way for us to display this and make it even stronger for our retail partners to be able to sell this in the recognition. That will probably be some sort of a discussion that's had if that question gets asked, which is a thought process, but I don't know if that works in the premium cigar industry uh, currently right now. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting, but it's, it's aggressive. It, it, if, if they want to do it, they can financially pull it off. I mean, obviously, there's not a money's not an issue, so they're going in well funded, which is the first step. And then after that, you see what the reception is from it. But uh, again, I don't count the first one as a real store. It's a private club. It's beautiful. It's absolutely yeah. stunning. And yeah. uh, and that's a that's a that concept there will will do well because they can just dump money into it, and they're going to have high end clientele, and that high end clientele is going to really get a great product. And I know the stores are going to be nice, but I've been to a lot of really, really nice stores uh, that want to have that many stores. And it's it's a push. You know, I was wondering about you mentioned Corona, right? And Jeff has gone. I haven't talked to Jeff about this. Right. Um, and Jeff has gone. He's brought that brand in. Right. He's doing an event, like you said. And I was wondering if the way he kind of gets I, Jeff's not going to be happy if he's opening a store like in Orlando or Tampa. Right. 
But will Jeff maybe take one of his lounges and brand it that? That's something I was actually wondering about this whole thing. That yeah, I could, or, scenario. You know, or, you know, I I have not had any discussions with Jeff about this by any means, like n- nothing. Right. Um, but, you know, or, or take one of the stores. He's got some extra space in a couple of them and, you know, make a private, make a private El Septimo lounge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, something like that. You know, like the, the Corona on Sand Lake Road has a whole upstairs area uh, that could potentially be turned into something like that if they wanted to do that yeah so that that would make some sense but like i said as the way that the release read it's like we're going to open 30 retail stores um you know it wasn't hey we're going to we're open 30 retail stores and we're going to be partnering with our some of our retail partners so until that you know until they start opening them uh opening them up we're not going to really know what's going on but if they're going to do 30 they're going to have to start soon because so we're going to have to see this thing <laughs> in That's three years lot, yeah in three years yeah yeah <laughs> All right. All right. Last question. Um, this is the elephant in the room. So uh, the divorce between Crown Heads, Ace Prime, so that's Luciano Cigars. What are your thoughts on this? I I don't know much about the inner workings of either of their businesses. I spent like 12 hours on a boat with Luciano in April, and we didn't talk business. We just talked cigars and blends and hung out and talked fish. Um, he was on a fishing trip with a bunch of guys that I went on. Um, one thing I, I do know about Luciano is he's got so, he has a lot of little he has a lot of irons and a lot of fires. Um, a lot of small projects, some stuff that I think it's he's got a lot of projects that are on the cusp of potentially being big. And once you take a lot of little projects and put together, you can create something that's that's relatively successful, which I think he has. Um, you know, he's obviously he obviously has. He obviously has some fin- some financial success because of the concepts and projects and things he's done. You know, it's right. it's not uh, you know there's there's obvious that there's that there's been some successes there for him. Um, I never really understood outside of the distribution agreement and and him. I think really bringing Pachardo into into some relevance uh, on a like on a media level and on a uh, consumer level was huge. It seems like that was the connection. One of the connections that he brought to the table with the deal that they had with crown heads. But I, I always, for me, I always looked at that as simply really essentially uh, when you got down to the, to the basic level of it, that it was really just basically a, a, uh, a distribution agreement that had some other mutual business connections that that may have aided in some other things making blends or whatnot and the the one thing that i will say is whenever there's been a breakup of any kind or a you know i I wouldn't necessarily even say divorce i guess there there maybe is some saltiness but everybody seemed pretty positive about it um, for the most part uh whenever there is something like that there's a reason why obviously right it's either if it's a distribution agreement, it's like, this isn't working for us. And what we're making for money off this isn't working. So you, we either need to change our distribution agreement and make, and so there's more money being made, or you need to go your separate way. Or on the reverse side, I don't think these cigars are being focused on the best as they should be. And I feel like this distribution agreement and where we're at now, we've grown to the point where I can distribute this product and I give it a bigger focus 
than what you're going to be able to provide for because you have a portfolio of a number of other things. And also at the same time, you have another focus coming in with Tim Osinger with their cigars. So there's going to be another focus. So I think the addition of Osinger coming back in, Luciano probably sitting there and saying, hey, this is going to be what they focus on. Because Crown Heads, one thing they do do, I don't, I don't know what any of their products are core line. I they they really they, aren't. They, they really aren't. When Miguel actually really, was saying this the other night on, on how about that cigar? Yeah, which isn't a bad thing. Obviously, they do they do well. Again, I have a lot of friends over there, and they all have jobs, and they've been there for a while. So yep. obviously, they're paying the bills, and they're happy with it. Um, but I would say Tim Osinger's coming in, and that's going to be the next thing. That's the push for Crown Heads is going to be that product. Um, and that's going to be the focus of what their salespeople are doing. That's going to be the focus of what the company is. And I think that was probably not a coincidence that at the same timing, Luciano's looking at it. And maybe there were some situations where he was feeling that he could focus on it more anyway. And then you add this addition. It was like, okay, hey, we're at a point where I can make this decision. It's time for me to separate. This isn't going to be the main focus for you all anymore. And it's time for me to carry, you know, carry the ball here on my own. But I, I, I think it's, I mean, Whenever you can focus on something solely and that's your only focus, the opportunity for success is there, um, you know, more than it would be leaving that opportunity for success in someone else's hands. Now, you could say they have sales managers over at Crown Heads. Uh, they're spread pretty thin. Their sales managers cover big territories. Um, so, you know, he may be able to cover some of those territories similarly, uh, you know, just being just being him. So. I think that's why that decision was made. And if there was any bad blood, that was all internally. But I, I think at the, the end of the day, it probably came down to how the brand was going to be focused on going forward, what the goals and objectives were probably going to be with Crown Heads in the next year or so uh, with Osinger. And then that I think it just probably ran its course. I'll just throw one more thing at you on this. OK, and I don't know how much of this you've heard or not heard. So, you know, when when the announcement came at Luciano, was rebranding Ace Prime uh, to Luciano Cigars. He, he kind of talked about, you know, basically this was going to be him and Tiago Splitter having the company. And previously, under the Ace Prime world, Luciano was a partner, was listed as a partner with Pachardo and Ace Prime and a, and a partner in the Pachardo factory. And Pachardo was nowhere to be found on any of those press releases. It was his name was was left off this right, and there were rumblings that w there was a a problem with Luciano and Pachardo. On Monday night, on how about that cigar? Miguel Chodel was on, and he this is what he said. He when they asked him about it, he said that the problem with Crown Heads and 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 they didn't call Luciano out by name or anything like that, but they kind of you know implied it. They said that that it was. Luciano, name not said, having part, uh, problems with Pachardo. And then they, they got sucked into it. So th there was something else going on, I think, in Nicaragua that we're not, we weren't aware of. So what cigars does Pachardo make for Crown Heads? Well, and this is, where, this is where it's tricky, right? Well, okay. So let's just take, let's just say like the Pachardo factory was making the Mil Diaz and Juarez as well as uh, the new La Petitia line. And I think... Fumato and C Major. Yep. And then the... Um, the... What was it? The... Um, the 5150. Oh, why am I drawing them? The... Uh, 
whatever it is, the, the one with the 5150, the Van Halen type of. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, the name's escaping me, and I should, I should run. So they were making a good amount of the portfolio. They were making a good amount of the portfolio. Yeah, and plus all the Osinger stuff and, and the Osinger yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, and I've heard Luciano say on other shows that like when Crown Heads was having problems getting stuff because, like you just said, they don't really have core lines. They 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 tend to do small production runs of these things, right? And they make them when they can. They're not like they're not doing this like mass producing these cigars. Um, you know, I heard Luciano say, you know, when, when he, they couldn't get stuff out of these other factories, they were producing these cigars for Crown Heads. But Crown Heads is taking the approach. This is where it gets tricky. They're saying that Luciano was never making those cigars for them. It was, and again, they didn't call Luciano by the name. They were very careful with that. They said, we were dealing with a Radio Pichardo with these cigars. And Tim, I was going to set it on our show last week as well. When we had Tim on. Yeah, I mean. As I said, you, you never, I guess you never know the inner workings. Yeah. But you're dealing, like, who, by the way, so who owns what, who paid for what, who paid for tobacco, who brokered this, who brokered that, right. who owes somebody money. Um, it's, there's obviously some complexities probably yeah. to it. And uh, either either way, which would make, which kind of makes a little bit of sense, um, you know, the focus, the focus wasn't, isn't going to be on his brands anymore. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. The Ozinger thing is going to be the main focus. It's got the biggest background story and and whatever that relationship and connection was there. Uh, that's why I said Luciano's got a lot of irons and certain fires. Right. Who, who knows how that, that that went down? Maybe 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 there's tobacco purchases or, or there's something. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if one of those irons uh, the fire went out. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you you can go back to what you say. You know, distribution agreements come to an end at some point and you know someone like Luciano can move on and do his own thing and that's part of doing business it unfortunately it got very acrimonious here but you know how it happened but that you know that's something I can buy into certainly uh, yeah, the that, timing yeah. the timing of it all yeah seems to be a point where whether it was whether it was you know negativity involved in it or whatnot or or, or disagreements or whatever the timing is probably the best time if he was ever going to do it to do it. If, if that was, if those things were going on, yeah, you know? So, I mean, whether you can say who's right or wrong, who knows who's right or wrong, but in the situation, looking at it, it is, it's not a coincidence. You've got this other brand that's going to be a focus going on and then he's separating at the same time. That's, there's no way that those things aren't somewhat related yeah. and whether, whatever the dist- distribution agreement was, maybe it set itself up where it was like, okay, I can either go on doing this. This is the next step, or 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 this is the time to take this to the next side, the next level, um, you know, and, and try something different. Yep, I agree. All right, uh, I think we're at the end of the show. Aaron, anything else before we close out? No, nope, you got it. All right, so John, I want to thank you very much. I appreciate you hanging in there. Uh, we, we I did. The hit- digger is uh, three hours. <laughs> yeah, we went we went into bear territory here. So. Uh, um, but uh, do appreciate it. Um, just folks, uh, programming next week's show, uh, episode 245, we're bringing back the Name Council. Uh, and, John, this was a show inspired by the Dojo Show <laughs> in terms of what is a brand name. We're going to have our Name Council. We're going to go through a list of brands, and we're going to determine <laughs> if they're truly brands or not. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, so Eric's going to come on for that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, so we're going to do that next week. Uh, Aaron, you may or may not be there for that show. We know that. it's likely I'll be there. So, okay, just, awesome. Now it's just a slim chance. That there's a, okay, and if you need to come that. later, whatever, that's fine too. Yep. But, uh, uh, but we'll be, uh, I, I'm McTavish is the chairman of the name council. So, we did this with Batola <laughs> names, now we're going to do it with brand names. Uh, and actually, and John, I, I'm, I'm starting to put the list together. There's a lot more complexity to this than you, than you would think. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds just, I'll definitely be tuned in. When is that show? Next, a week from today. Oh, I'll be tuned in for that. That yep. sounds like a good yep, time. Yep, yep. Uh, so, so stay tuned. Uh, LG is on the list. So, <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. I really enjoyed it. it was, yep. it was a nice night outside. The freight train's coming by, so it's a good time for me to end. All right, thanks guys. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. Thanks a lot, John. And thanks to our audience. That's going to wrap up primetime episode two forty four into the annals of history for Thursday, October 6th, now Friday, October 7th in the Eastern and Central time zones. We'll catch everyone next time. Take care, everybody. See you guys.